Welcome, everybody, to episode nine of Media Sandwich Reheated. I'm Chris. And I'm Kyle. And I think we are the Spider-Man. We are the Spider-Man. Uh, <laughs> those multiple Spider-Men. We have, we have many things we can discuss today, because there's always something to discuss in the world of, of media. I mean, yeah. Yeah, but what, you know, where we're not best to start than with with a Spider-Man, which is of course the PlayStation Four exclusive, kind of out of nowhere, I'd say like weirdly that a Spider-Man is an exclusive. I mean, not weirdly since Sony has the rights to Spider-Man and they have the PlayStation, but yeah, strange. That's correct. I mean, he, he's yeah. been exclusive to them since Spider-Man Three, correct? Um, actually, yeah, I think you're right. That's. I don't remember, but he's definitely shifted over. I mean, obviously, it's, Sony's got the rights, and they seem to be really pushing those rights. And sounds like they finally use them really, really well. Yeah, yeah. I I was not able to play when it first came out. I don't own a PS4, but I I go over to my in-laws' house every week, and there is a PS4 with a copy of Spider-Man sitting there collecting dust because my brother-in-law bought it. And then immediately decided he was going to go back to college. <laughs> so it's been sitting there, and I've been playing it. And this is the game that has cemented the the fact in my brain that I bought the wrong console this generation. It's hard to say. I have more I could say on that, for sure. Um, as I have recently this year acquired a PS4 and then fully bought it. Um, I borrowed it from my... Um, brother and sister-in-law because they basically didn't weren't using theirs and I had asked at the time when I was searching for one and I was trolling Craigslist for one it's like okay I'm ready to get this console of my own and they were like oh you know I said can I can I buy yours from you and they're like oh you can borrow it like, okay so I borrowed it long enough and I was really into it and I was really like connecting with it and I started purchasing games for it and everything and then they randomly out of the blue a couple months back we're like all right well we're ready to take it back because the one game that we want to play on it is coming out like hmm that's not gonna work for me anymore <laughs> um I, I've, you see, I've grown accustomed to a certain standard of living yeah and like i had officially kind of made a big shift in my entertainment life which you might be familiar with and that's the shift from the previous console as your primary entertainment hub including you know, Netflix and whatnot into what I shifted to, basically, yeah, which was oh, yeah. PS4. Yeah, it's PS4 suddenly had Netflix. Uh, suddenly had Netflix. Suddenly ha I had Hulu on it from a friend. I had HBO Go from another friend. Suddenly this was like, this was now my primary console. So I certainly didn't feel like shifting, uh, <laughs> shifting again to something different. And, you know, they're like, oh, well, why don't you just get your own? Um, I'm like, well, the thing is, if you're going to be starting from zero on a console, and I would have to be starting from zero from a console, it doesn't make much sense for us both to have to start from zero on a console. I have already built this console up the way I like it. I'm very particular, and I just, I just want, I just, I want, I want my things, please, please. I want my, this is my thing now, and I have this thing that is my thing. So I offered to buy it, and they, like, I think they got the hint that they needed to back off, and were like, okay, you know, that's fine. You can buy it from us. Thank you. I want to pay for it. I'm just going to steal it from you. So tell me how much you want for it. And I'm like, this much. I'm like, done. Throw money. Throw money. The deal is done. <laughs> it's, it is mine now. Thank you. I have full custody. 
Wow, what a sordid state of affairs. I'm, I get really weird, though, and I I felt bad because I'm like, I tried to tell him, like, I know, it, I'm, I'm sorry that it seem, I'm weird about this. I just got super weird, and I apologize. I just get really particular about certain things, and this was a point where I got too attached, frankly. I did get too attached to it, and I was like, I can't, I can't step back now. I've, I didn't just, like play a game or two on it i started purchasing games that i have yet to even play because i started to assume i will have a backlog to the system oh yeah i have i have uncharted 4 i bought dragon age inquisition i bought batman arkham knight i bought dragon quest heroes so i and i just got um no man's sky which i got from a friend so it's like i have all these games i'm like oh so what am i playing now oh well the game someone else lent me of course Oh yeah, and uh, didn't didn't you say you were looking to play God of War at some point too? I was. I had checked that out from the library. Once again, the library system has been magnificent for saving me uh, hundreds upon hundreds of dollars. I'm probably over a thousand dollars saved in the last two years easily. Um, and I did check out God of War, the new one, um, colloquially known as Dad of War. Oh and- yeah, Dad of War. Unfortunately, um, something wasn't working. I tried the disc and it didn't work in the system. And I don't know if it was just like the system was having an off day. It seemed to play other discs that I put in just fine. It it wasn't clear if there was enough memory because there was nothing indicating that I didn't have enough memory on the system to facilitate a full download, hard drive, whatever needed. And I had plenty of space. So I think it was just whoever previously checked out the game somehow scratched like the one part of the disc or something happened and it didn't play. So I was really sad that because I had waited a couple months in line to get to that game. And when it came out, it's like and I my my turn came up like, cool, I'm going to play this game. I'm going to see what it's like. And and I can't because it's broken, whatever. So took it back to the library the next day. Yeah, it's a bummer, but I mean, it happens. That's, I mean, that's the one, that's the only real downside I'd say to the library system, other than not being able to just get anything the moment you want to, um, especially the newer stuff, but still being able to, I mean, it does kind of facilitate you have to make harder choices. I mean, you have to look at the library as your full backlog, and there are games that I can get anytime I want to. I can go in anytime and snag um, like Shadow of Mordor. Or, I mean, probably uh, Mass Effect Andromeda, like any any games that are at this point a little older, uh, Rise of the Tomb Raider, you know, X Y Z. I can I can grab good games, um, you know, arguably good games, or at least curious games. Um, I've checked out Final Fantasy fifteen multiple times. Still have not played it, of course, but I I could if I so chose. Uh, Resident Evil Seven, I could check out. Um, so anyway, that's that was that was God of War's. I didn't get to play it, but I did have the lucky time where my friend uh, from work, he's a current gamer. He's a little older than me. He doesn't have kids, so he has lots more expendable income and time. And he definitely is the type who gets the newest thing on either Switch or PS4, plays it, and then is done with it, and you know passes it to whomever. And this was me. Like I came into the office one morning, and there was Spiderman sitting on my desk, and I was just so excited because I thought, "Hey, I hadn't expected to play this within the year, and now suddenly I'm playing it within the launch window, which is for me a big deal to play a PS4 game within the launch window." I'd say. 
Well, yeah, yeah. Hey, I haven't. I've never played a PS4 game basically because I I don't have one. But <laughs> it it was serendipitous that I was just over for a visit, and it was a case of, yeah, man, it's sitting there. Just go ahead, start a new file, and that'll be your file. And I think at this point, I have to be at least past thirty percent completion, and I have like wow. more than half a dozen suits and quite a bit of the map. Because, you know, I spend, when, when we go over to my in-law's house, we're there for the day. Mm-hmm. And some, sometimes there's only so much telenovela I can watch in the one living room, so I'll just pass into the other room and be like, oh, I'll just plop down here and see how far I can get. Yeah. You know, I'll just take some Spider-Man selfies, which is <laughs> a lot of fun. I... it's, uh, it's a really fun game. Super fun. I mean, I was, I had heard all about it everyone's saying yeah it's and i can confirm it's just just a bucket full of video game cliches open world cliches like hey you gotta you know like basically activation towers and like yep got that like oh you got random tchotchkes to collect around the map yep got those you got random kind of like weak encounters to you got to complete an area yep you got to clear out a whole section yep does it even matter I had heard basically, hey, it's Arkham Asylum, but for Spider-Man, I'm like, okay, if it succeeds at being that, that sounds like a great game, and that's exactly what it is. Yeah, and of course, it's like, you you look at all these things like, oh, yeah, is it really all these cliches? Oh, yeah, does it matter? Oh, no, it doesn't, because as soon as as it gives you the uh, control, and it does it so fast, where you're like mid-swing, it's like, all right, you're Spider-Man now, and you're like, I'm Spider-Man now, here we go, and it was immediate that I was just like, well, this game is amazing. They, they, because yeah. that was really all they needed to do was nail web swinging. And they're like, yep, we're going to nail it. Nailed. It's done. Simple. It's fluid. It's fast. It's fun. Yeah. Yeah. The, me- the mechanic is great. Uh, I, I love, I, I was concerned with how do you upgrade Spider-Man without it getting ridiculous very quickly. And they figured mm-hmm. out a great way of doing it. They figured out great skill trees and I, I really didn't think, you know, I mean, I, I'm a bit of a collector, so I, I'm fine with fetch quests. I'm fine with activation towers. It's cool. That's, that's an easy way for me to gauge my sense of completion, but Mm -hmm. I love to collect suits. That became my favorite thing in the Arkham games. And I forgot how many suits Spider-Man has over what, 70 years of Canon at this point. Yeah. And, I, oh, it's so much fun. Every every new one, you're just like, I don't even care what it is. It's just so great that I have it. I I think my my favorite little moment was, like, perfect little payoff for Spider-Man fans, where I love Spider-Man's relationship with, um, who is the police officer he, he contacts with constantly? Uh, yeah. uh, I, I'm not familiar with the character. I'm not sure if I've ever seen her in a comic or anything. Yeah, she seemed new to me. I like their dynamic, and I like at one point she's talking about, yeah, I'm going to, like, the policeman's ball. And he's like, oh, am I going to be your plus one? And she makes a joke about, like, what, do you got a black and white suit? And, like, I kind of had a little, my little joke there moment, because I could see, and they played it very well. Like, they had Spider-Man take a little pause just to kind of let the joke land. And it's yeah. like, I'm like, that's cute. Like that endeared me immediately. Like, okay, they totally get it. Yeah, and... no, I, it's, it's very well done. It's, and that's, that's the reason why I can get away with being 
you know, every, every open world cliche in the book, it gets away with it because it does do it all very well and it yeah. molds to the character in the established canon so well. My, I, I played it, um, it's been a couple weeks since I played it because I went on a binge for a while and I was just zooming around the city, getting all the backpacks and I'm like where I am right now, you're probably far past this is I still like my main mission is you got to go to Aunt May's birthday party. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, Aunt May, you'll happy birthday. That's fine. I'll get to you. I got backpacks to find. It's yeah, I will. I the will backpacks get to are you a really later. easy diversion. Cause don't you so realize, don't you realize I have to take a picture of the Empire State Building right now? Though I live in Queens. Yeah, exactly. Hold on, I have to take a picture of the Statue of Liberty. Oh no, it showed me that there's 50 secret locations, like photo, like locations. Oh no, I'm, I'm screwed. I'm out of all the possible landmarks I can think of in New York, which is probably (laughs) why they, like, that's the easiest one to find is... Statue of Liberty. Everyone's like, "Oh, I'm sure Statue of Liberty's got to be a thing." Oh, it is a thing. You take a picture and you get that counts as a landmark, and it's like one of fifty secret landmarks. You're like, "Oh, oh no, oh no." <laughs> yeah, it's. I I really appreciate the backpacks more than anything because those are kind of the uh, riddles from Arkham Asylum. How it's like, yeah, they're they're just they're just generic collectibles, but each one of them is attached to a nice piece of comics lore that you can kind of, yeah. you know, nudge yourself in the elbow, rib, elbow yourself in the ribs and say, Hey, I remember that one. I I'm recent. I've recently gone through Arkham Asylum again and I forgot. Oh yeah. Those riddles are so much fun because every one of them you find, you're like, I'm the smartest man alive. <laughs> I definitely love the riddles. A lot of people rag on the riddles, especially in Arkham city. Cause they're just, it's heavy with the riddles and I there might be too many riddles a plethora of riddles I didn't mind them because I am I mean open world games are terrible for me I get stuck in doing all the missions I mean I've probably said before on this podcast I've played Assassin's Creed 1 Assassin's Creed 2 Assassin's Creed 2 2 and Assassin's Creed 2 3 and in 2 3 also known as Assassin's Creed Revelations um, I don't know um, what I did, I, I was kind of surprised. I forgot there was a story because I was too busy buying Constantinople. And by the time I was done buying all of Constantinople, I'm like, well, the game's over, right? And it's like, you're on sequence four of 15. I'm like, what? But why is there yeah. more game? It's well, like, you an- another part of that is that uh, Brotherhood and Revelations, the plot is kind of incomprehensible if you're doing side stuff in between. Yeah, like, and of the, course the plot I'm... totally works if you just do all the story missions one right after another and don't oh, do yeah. anything else. But who plays an open world game like that? And like I, I played um, uh, Horizon Zero Dawn on the PS4, and that one's a phenomenal game, and it That's has right. it has a phenomenal story. And I ripped through a lot of the side stuff. I did all of the side quests I could. I did. I leveled up to the max level of fifty because I did it pre DLC. And I did the like all the little side challenges and stuff like that, and was like done with the bulk of the game, except for the main story. And the main story was like finally it was okay. Now you can go do the main story. And kind of that was one of the few times I really got purely into an open world story because I was so 
able to just keep playing and playing. And I had all the mechanics down so every encounter felt unique enough to me. Like I could see how they were changing things up and I could I had enough equipment that I could switch I could change my own playstyle. And I was familiar enough and I had learned all the techniques for all the side missions. So it was actually really, really fun and really effective to play through that game that way. Even though it was kind of silly like the world is at peril. I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. But I, I, you know, I gotta, I gotta go over here and fight this Robo T Rex just because it's, you know, on my list of things to do right now. Please excuse me. That, that should be on everybody's list of things to do immediately. Yeah. Side note there, one really cool thing about that game, like one of my favorite parts is that you, my favorite arrow type is these things called Terror Blast arrows. And it's these ones that you shoot. And they go boom, boom, and they like have this shockwave. So they don't do a ton of damage, but they rip off armor and things. And oh, if cool. you, if, yeah, and all the all the enemies um, beyond just some of them being humans who are like from enemy, you know, enemy humans, bad bad people, surely. Um, the all the animal creatures are all robots, and a lot of them have weapons like mounted to their back or like different pieces. Some of it's just like materials that you can affect by how you shoot stuff. So there's like these antelope ones that have these um, like flammable canisters on their back. So you can shoot them with fire arrows, something will explode and it'll burst out and they can hit a bunch of other enemies at the same time. Or you can use the terror blast arrows and just bust that stuff off of them. And then you can go pick it up and you can claim this material. Well, if you do that to like the robo T-Rex called, um, I think it's uh, was like the jaw, thunder jaw. I think it is. Um, thunder jaw. Thunder jaw. It's got a. It's they've got these two big like disc shooting cannons on its back, and if you hit the cannon straight on with a tear blast arrow, the cannon boom rips off, which you can then run over to it, pick it up, and start firing the discs at the at the Robo Rex instead. Which is super satisfying. Like once you once you get good at the game, you can like stealth sneak up in the bushes to like a Robo Sabertooth Tiger. Use your thing to make it under your control. Then bum rush the Robo Rex, shoot it with the Terror Blaster, rip off the cannons, and start firing its own weapons back at it. Like throw some explosive trip wire so as it rushes you, it gets tripped up and falls over. Like it's pretty sweet. Like it's it that gets does pretty, sound pretty satisfying. Yeah, it's pretty fun. I will I will say. You know, all of this has to do with Spider-Man, naturally. Of course, of course. Of course. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I, I would say that Spider-Man was equally satisfying. Every uh, boss fight, I thought, was a pretty fun, uh, kind of Zelda-esque in terms of, like, okay, this this one particular mechanic that you've learned recently is what you're going to do in order to defeat this person, and then it's just all about timing. Mm-hmm. And I liked that. It it lends well to the character, I thought. And it lends yeah. well to his banter being kind of a hint as to what's the next move. I I really appreciated um, one little moment where I was fighting a bunch of goons in a hideout. Um, like, in a, you know, like a construction building with scaffolding and stuff. And I'm fighting up high. And I beat this guy up. I'm in the air and I do this air combo and I kick him off the building. And I'm like, all right. I guess it's just a video game. Spider-Man kills somebody. And as I see him fall, I suddenly, you know, as I'm just standing there watching him, Spider-Man goes, whoop, and like, twips him and, uh, like, webs him up and saves him. Just like a casual, like, whoop, okay, he's safe. And I realized, 
oh man they really did think of everything there like that's a beautiful little touch because everyone's gonna say like oh yeah like spider-man didn't really kill that guy he threw him off the building. oh wait he didn't kill that guy he saved him cool like i liked that little touch like yeah no this is still really spider-man he's not just a, a heartless monster who will kill like no he really won't kill he's he's good guy good on you it's it's nice that they had a cover for that eventuality within the game yeah i mean i don't care that it's yeah i don't care that he basically blind thwips people half the time and it's like it doesn't matter to me like they at least gave enough video game sense like no he doesn't really do it video game wise i explained that he didn't kill him like cool down i'm fine with that i accept i accept your uh rationale game you've done a good job a triple plus a triple plus a triple plus uh, yeah, well, um, speaking of other, uh, Marvel superheroes, especially on, like, a street-level, uh, justice kick. Boy, perfect segue. That one was yeah. smooth. Oh, thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it did the job. Uh, much like, much like Danny Rand is Iron Fist and Luke Cage is Luke Cage. Luke Cage. Uh, <laughs> Power Man, you mean <laughs> to say? He is Power Man, technically, although uh, he doesn't advertise that very much. No. Uh, and, and rightly so. It's a little generic. It's kind of like Western family brand soda mm-hmm. of superhero names. But uh, both of them, they, they got the job done, but they are going to be retired. Netflix canceled Iron Fist and then Luke Cage a couple of days later. Yeah. And this is right as season three of Daredevil landed. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. Um, Daredevil has its season three, and Jessica Jones gets one more season guaranteed, I think. Mm-hmm. And then I'm pretty sure that Punisher has a season two guaranteed as well. I might be wrong on that one, though. It did pretty well. So. Yeah, it's hard to say because I've heard rumors flying around for reasons why. Um, the obvious reason that you most people could assume would be that these shows did not perform very well. Right, and because Netflix doesn't release their numbers, we don't know if it's a ratings drop. But yeah, it's it's we really can kind hard. of assume. It's hard to say because Daredevil became kind of a, a little a mini phenomenon, if you can call it that. Like it was one of the Netflix shows that everyone was like, oh, everyone's talking about it. Got to see it. Got to watch it. Um, season one of that was great. Season one of Jessica Jones was the same thing. Everyone was got like, got to see, got to watch it. Luke Cage, the season one was the first one that a lot of people were really waffling on with me, and that's why it took me so darn long to watch it. And I. Still haven't even finished season one. I'm halfway through season one, and that's the farthest I got through the Netflix series. And actually, I'm sorry, I forgot that that includes season two of Daredevil right before that. So, like, I went through, you know, season two of Daredevil slowed me way down because that's when I actually, that's, that's when I started hearing people say, well, maybe this isn't going to work. And then Luke Cage came out, and I heard half, half people be like, this is really good. The other half were like, I'm not as good. Then once Iron Fist came out, everyone, like, the majority opinion of that one I heard was it was not good. Yeah, that was the first one that was an out and out. It's a no from everybody. Yeah. Um, and then Defenders was, was kind of mixed. Mm-hmm. There were people that really enjoyed the crossover quality, but the overall, as a standalone, it didn't really work very well. 
Yeah. And that was actually a, a reduce. That was only like eight episodes. And even then, it still kind of suffered from the Netflix bloat problem. Uh-huh. But yeah. and, uh, and then after that, seasons two of Jessica Jones came out, which that's where I'm at right now. Uh, I slowed way down right after Defenders. I just didn't really feel like coming back. And I'm finally getting into it now just because I'm finally starting to slow down on new things coming out of Netflix. I'm finally catching up with some stuff. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, yeah, Luke Cage was kind of divisive for season one, but it did when season one landed, it like broke the internet. Like, I think it shut down Netflix. Like it busted their, their uh, servers or something like that when it first landed. Which one? Luke Cage season one. Oh, wow. Uh, people were excited for it because you keep in mind that that was before Black Panther. So mm-hmm. folks looking for representation, that was their first taste of it in the MCU was Luke Cage. So it was it was big stuff at the time. We yeah. we don't we don't have viewership numbers, of course, but some website, I forget which, uh, gave me these uh, social media numbers as kind of their guessing point for why those two were canceled so quickly. Uh, just in the last week. So Luke Cage season one had like 300,000 social media impressions going into its premiere. Mm -hmm. And then season two, it was only like 50,000. So steep, steep drop off. And it's not too shocking because Netflix has gotten to the point where it's almost impossible to keep up with all the stuff they're producing and releasing. Yeah, even even only as recently as about a year ago, it was a lot easier to keep up with the with, with the cycle of new material that they were dropping. They were dropping maybe yeah. one thing, one thing a month, one big thing a month, maybe even less than that. It felt like I mean, a couple years back, it was easy enough that like it was. I'd say once a quarter, they'd have a big drop. It's like oh yeah, oh, yeah. here's. Here's the new season of House of Cards when that was still popular. Here's the new season of Orange is a New Black. Here is a new show. Here's the first season of Jessica Jones. You know, like we're going all in here. Here's something completely different that you wouldn't expect. Or here's Black Mirror. Here's yeah, and whatever. now it now it's like a case of like two or th- two or three big drops a week almost. Yeah, it's, and it's, it's kind of impossible to keep up. I'm I'm still about a month behind, and that's. That's taking my, like, one season of television a week aggressive take. I mean, I have so many Netflix shows just, I mean, it's kind of, it's amazing for Netflix to have so many shows that do pique my interest um, that I have just on my instant queue ready to watch. And there's only really ever been one show of theirs that I attempted and then just said, no, not for me. And that was um, New Legends of Monkey, um, which is like, okay, that's. You know that one was kind of expected. That was more of like I'm I'm expecting to like this for being silly and goofy, and I just said no, I just don't like it. But like in the last month, I've struggled because season two of Ozark came out, and that's a phenomenal show. If you've not my seen that, my brother is really into that. Uh, I keep being told by my brother and his wife to take a look at it, and I still oh. need to. I mean, if you want just a one heck of a bummer, go watch it because it's another one of those shows. It's very much like Breaking Bad, and I'm sure they're wanting that to feel like Breaking Bad. Oh, in yeah. That, in that it is just, 
it's relentless, but it flows at a natural pace, or at least it flows from a believable pace of like, this will flow into that, will flow into that. You can't predict what's going to happen because there's a lot of, not necessarily twists, but there are a lot of like zigs when you assume it's going to zag. And I like that about the show. And Jason Bateman is just doing excellent. And Laura Linney is doing excellent as both of them pretty much always do. And it's a good show. And so season two of that came out, but I'm like, Oh, well, don't I need to still watch altered carbon? That one I've heard so many good things about, but I still haven't I even started that. altered carbon. That was an amazing <laughs> show. I thought, but yeah, again, I saw... I'm a really easy sell with tech noir, future noir stuff. Mm-hmm. And I imagine like, oh, I'm going to do that. But like, oh, no, wait, I got to go back over here because I, I, I need to finish season six of Orange is the New Black. And I finally just did. And I was blown away with, I you know, my ability to not know what is going to happen next. And that show, to its credit, is still surprising me both happily and miserably because there's like the end of that season does not does not mess around in no. so many ways. Yeah, it doesn't go well for a lot of them. And, and it does I, for... I, I, mean, I think the weird. next season of that is the final one, if I, I remember mean, right. It's gotta be because, like, the way that they're leading up, like, it's it's exhausting. Like, they... And I to their credit, they're doing very well with that show where they lead from one thing to another very fairly, you know, naturally as much as it can. Like, I haven't felt like they've cheated. I should say like nothing has felt like a cheat to go from here to here to here. Everything has felt believably like stakes raised. Yeah. Which makes me curious. Like what can they possibly do for a final season to raise the stakes other than just literally gut everyone. <laughs> and cause this season gets raw and gets in some places a little, almost too meta where like, Piper's like, oh, maybe I'll write a memoir about this and turn it into something. It's like, is this how we're going to connect it to the real world story? Because we already know that the real world story is not anywhere near this anymore. Like, you've gone oh, no. way off the rails from the real truth. But, like, so many different things happen. Like, I actually did... I'm really, I'm like the perfect person to watch something with once I'm into it because I will be the guy who yell up, oh, no! At, like, a, the right moment. Like, the writers would be pleased to see that. And, like, at the end of the season, there's a moment where, you know, oh, these these different um, inmates have got early release. And you follow two groups, and one group is leaving. And you're like, ah, oh, it's all going to work out. And the other group doesn't leave. And I just, I audibly yelled, oh, no. No, no, no. And it just, I could see that the show was looking straight at me going, no, you will not have a good night tonight. You stood, you stayed up too late to watch this hour and a half season finale. And you thought that this show about people in a prison, were going to leave you happy and you're going to be wrong. Just, <laughs> just cause we didn't kill all of your favorite characters this season. We aren't going to let you leave feeling okay because we're not just going to give you the usual trite. And then everyone got shanked. We're going to tell you, hey, don't forget the real world is doing stuff, too. And we saw it. It's like, oh, no. It's funny that you should put it that way, because I think that that is kind of what's going on with the Marvel shows is, hey, there's stuff going on in the real world, and it's affecting <laughs> us. Oh, no. 
I, I think it's a case of like, oh, now that Disney's got their streaming ch- channel thingy prepped but not ready to go, I think I think that the the Marvel Netflix alliance is pretty much over with after we get these guaranteed seasons over because yeah i think that disney wants these characters back i think that they're they're at a point where they're like we can reboot these probably pretty safely i think and that was the other rumor i heard is that they are slowly starting to cancel shows so they can gain full control and i really hate that they're going to do a streaming service because i don't need anymore i don't want anymore there's already enough that i don't use i mean i don't even bother with amazon prime and there's shows that i would like to have seen but i never will and i would i I have amazon prime i have hulu and i have netflix and i still feel like i need the disney one if anything just for the marvel and star wars stuff and It sucks because I feel like in order to in order to justify that one, I gotta get rid of something else. I yeah, I use Amazon Prime too much to get rid of it, and it's got too many good old movies and old TV shows on it. And mm-hmm. my kids' favorite shows are on it, so I can't get rid of that. And we're gonna have Prime anyway, so I'll have Prime Video. Yeah, Netflix is too ingrained in me. I can't get rid of it now. I'm I'm entrenched in too many different shows. Hulu is the one that's always on the bubble for me, even though it's the cheapest one I've got, and yeah. it has most everything that Prime does, and it has TV shows that are actually still airing now. Like, I'm watching The Good Place via uh, Hulu, and I'm actually caught up with it, and uh, I'm catching up with Superstore now. Does does uh, the Good Place does it have the new season on Hulu now? Yeah, yeah, you can watch season the episode. Three? Uh, yeah, season three, you can watch the new episode wow. like the day after it airs. Well, that's amazing because yeah, I, I mean, I've been on, you know, I watched that on Netflix, so I saw. So we're just we just finished season two. So yeah, oh that's, yeah, because that just dropped on on Netflix recently, right? Yep, season two dropped on Netflix. Yeah. No, I mean. That's that's another great show. But anyways, uh, as far as the Netflix uh, Marvel shows, I don't know if there's an inherent correlation between the social media numbers that that they were able to dig up and mm. viewer numbers. I mean, how many people were posting and tweeting about The Walking Dead past, like, season four? But that show's been pretty consistent with viewership, and I don't even know. what Aren't they on, like, season, like, nine or ten now with that? I think about season eight. I for I lost lost track because I lost interest at a certain point. I'm basically I think missed... most everybody has. I haven't seen yeah. a I haven't seen a social media post about The Walking Dead in years, but people I've are still them. watching it. Yeah, our I think our friends and the people we followed have all kind of left that ship. They're like, okay, it is it is just the same way the comic book was, which is it's just going to keep going and keep getting exhausting and keep just beating you in. Until you can't, you're just tired, and you're like, I get it. I okay, the story's just gonna keep going. I get it. I'm done. Thank you. I'm I'm out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was for the first couple of seasons. There, it was a tremendous show. It's mm-hmm. that relentless nature, though. It can weigh on you, and it's not a whole lot of fun to watch after a while for me. 
No, I mean, it is just a, it's a show that it wallows in misery because that's the point. And like, you know, I'll get it. Like, oh yeah, I get that's the point is to be wallowing in misery, but I can only be miserable for so long before I have to pop back out. Like I have other zombie shows I can watch easily and be pleased with. Yeah, I mean, I can just go back and watch all my best zombie movies. I don't, I don't really need a zombie show. I'm good. Yeah. Uh, but I'll tell you what I do need is a Star Wars show. Um, <laughs> I, I really need this John Favreau live action Star Wars show that uh, since the last time we talked, we've gotten a ton of information on it. Have we? Uh, yeah. So to start, the show is titled The Mandalorian. So okay. it's going to be centered on somebody from Boba Fett's uh, race and heritage and that of the clone army. And uh, it's going to take place after the fall of the Empire in uh, before Force Awakens. Okay. And it's going to be in a corner of the galaxy untouched by the uh, New Republic government. So it's going to be kind of... Uh, the, the way it's be- being teased, it, it's very much like a space western, a spaceman with no name kind of thing. Oh, good. We have not ever seen a show like that. <laughs> well, we... We've seen space westerns, of course, but we haven't really seen we haven't really seen one with the proper budget to actually look like a cool sci-fi western. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, Firefly is a cool-looking show, but it also is a show that's like, hey, th- this armor that the military guys are wearing—that's just leftover from from Starship Troopers. We just <laughs> spray painted it purple. Is all we did. Well, of course. And, you know, th- there will be an episode where it's like, oh, spaceships and a, and a space station, and that's cool, vacuum suits and whatnot. And then the next episode, it's like, so we got an old, an old Western set from the 60s that no one's torn down yet, and we're just going to shoot around that for a week. Hmm. It's, you know, very TV budget. This Star Wars show, I, I'm, this might be a misnomer, but I read that it was going to be like $10 million per episode. Which is insane, but they have the money because it's it's Disney. They have sure. the money, so why not make it big? And they seem to want to make it big because they have a huge list of directors coming in on it. It's uh, let me see here. Yeah, so among the directors for each episode, uh, they brought in uh, Deborah Chow, or maybe it's Deborah Chow, I don't know. But uh, she did some great work on Jessica Jones. And uh, Dave Filoni from the animated Star Wars wing, he did Clone Wars and Rebels. So Ooh, he's doing an episode. Yeah, yeah, it connects. It's, it's in the family. <laughs> Speaking of in the family, Bryce Dallas Howard. Uh, actress in those uh, most recently of the Jurassic World, yeah, and and also daughter of Ron Howard who directed Solo. So, is that right? Yeah, so that's interesting. I don't know and... why I never made that connection. Mostly because I'm too stupid. That's why. Clearly. <laughs> well, I mean, you're the one saying it. Uh, <laughs> and then. The biggest get for directors, they got Taika Waititi is coming in to do an episode of The Mandalorian. I did hear that. That's exciting. That makes me smile so much because, number one, because he's great. 
but also because he just like he recently like within the last year somebody asked him hey when are they going to get you to do a star wars and he was like i don't want to do a star wars movie that doesn't sound like fun <laughs> they get people get fired from directing those movies if they don't like line up with the studio enough and i don't really i i'm just learning how to work with a studio like he yeah. made Thor Ragnarok really weird, and he was lucky enough to have Marvel Studios go, yeah, that's okay. You go ahead and do something weird, which, mm-hmm. not for nothing, Edgar Wright did not get that go-ahead. And, you know, a uh, couple, couple of folks have been fired from Star Wars movies for the same reason. Like, uh, Lord Miller got fired off of Solo for mm. being too weird, or not not formulaic enough with with the Star Wars construct. Sure. So they ask, they ask Taika and he's like, I don't know. I, I don't really, I, I don't line up with studio notes very well. So I don't think I want to do that. And mm-hmm. then he shows up to do an episode of the show, which makes me think, Oh, they're going to get, they're going to get more directors who want to do an episode of the show because it's a much smaller commitment. Yeah. Like, it's not a year and a half of your life. It's like, oh, yeah, come on out, do, like, you know, two weeks, and uh, we'll take care of the rest. Yeah. Which, that's great, and I, I hope that they entice him to do more stuff. I would love, I, I, I'll never stop saying that I want Taika Waititi to direct a Tales from the Star Wars Cantina or Tales from Jabba's Palace. That'd be cool. Yeah, but... Yeah, that show looks pretty cool. I, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, uh, there's rumors that it's going to star uh, Pedro Pascal, who was Oberyn Martell on Game of Thrones. Okay. If you don't remember him, he arrives in King's Landing. Much hay is made over what a cunning warrior he is. And then he just gets his ass handed to him by the mountain. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. It was brutal. Yeah. It yeah, was it was. It was. It was a bad day for everyone who was a fan of him. It was a bad day for pretty much everybody in the scenario. Yeah. But uh, speaking of Star Wars, by the way, and kind of aiming us back towards games, finally played Battlefront Two. I have yet to play either of those. Um, I've heard mixed but like they look fun to me because i mean you more than i did you played the um was it battle start was it star wars battle they were battlefront they were battlefront back in the day they they went and rebranded the series yeah and uh, the original battlefronts were pretty good Mm -hmm. that was back during the days of like land parties were like on on the end the, the very tail end of that era and the first Battlefront was okay. The second one was really good back then. That was a great mm-hmm. single-player game and multiplayer game. It was it was just great. And it told a pretty good story, too, because mm-hmm. it followed the same unit of clones from Order 66 through to the Rise of the Empire and eventually, I think, the last of, of the single-player campaign is the... Uh, uh, storming Leia's ship to find the Death Star plans. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. Uh, but yeah, the new ones are... Uh, you're fine. They're <laughs> they're exactly what you think they are. They're basically... They're just supposed to be... It's 
it's Call of Duty multiplayer, but with Star Wars. That's pretty much all all you need to know about it. Yeah. But the but Battlefront Two had a single player campaign, which made me go, okay, I'll end up playing that. Mm-hmm. And I waited and waited and waited, and I finally spent money on it. I shelled out ten bucks, which is more than a reasonable price for the single player campaign. <laughs> and. I still don't know if I'm ever going to play the multiplayer because who could care at this point, especially. I mean, it sounds like the actual, like, the, you know, the community for it has kind of jumped ship. They're they're more or less... Pretty quickly. Yeah, I mean, not that they... They didn't have a lot of time to get to it, it sounds like. It it was kind of on its last leg to begin with. It, well, it started with a controversy with all of the uh, loot box or uh, loot crate stuff, or yeah. what have you. But it, just, it did not recover from that. I mean, that can be that can be the death of a game easily. Yeah. Well, in this game, that that this game became the poster boy for how ridiculous of a business practice that is. And yep. Yeah, but anyway, I just wanted to play it to experience what they do with the Star Wars canon under the game. And, you know, I'm still of the opinion that Star Wars should have three AAA titles a year, honestly. It's it's ridiculous that it doesn't, because you can do so many different games with Star Wars. Yeah, it's kind of baffling that we don't, because they could easily milk that much out of the franchise, and it's... Well, since... Since Disney took over Lucasfilm and LucasArts, uh, who made the Star Wars games, was dissolved, and EA took up the license, that all happened like four years ago now or something like that. Mm-hmm. We've had two games, and they're both Battlefronts. They're essentially the same game that was half-made when it was first released, and it still remains kind of not finished. Yep. And that's so baffling to me, because of all the things to hang Star Wars video game's hat on, is really like a first-person shooter, online, multiplayer shooter. That's such a weird choice for Star Wars, because you've got spaceship battles, you've got... You could do a a pod racing... uh, You could do just an HD remake of Pod Racer right now, and it would probably sell. They did. Well, when? What, do you, what do you mean? On PC? Yeah, they, they re-released, I believe it was an HD version, but they re-released Podracer on PC, so you can play the original uh, N64 or PlayStation Podracer. I mean, I'd be into that. Yeah, that everyone was, that was, was into that. Yeah. that was like, yeah, I never owned it, but that was one on the N64 that I was pretty jazzed for. Like, this is, this is good stuff. This is no, great. This, that was a great game. Arguably better than the movie it was based on, so... Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's um, we haven't had any other Star Wars games, which is crazy. Uh, there was the game by Visceral that got scrapped. and Well, the saddest part is that we have been struggling to get a real Star Wars game. And we like, I would say in the um, N64 PlayStation to GameCube PS2 era was kind of Star Wars, like some of the best era of Star Wars games. Because yeah, that's when the most that. the most different like diverse attempts at Star Wars were made. Some good, some bad. I would say more good than bad. Because you had between N sixty four and GameCube, you had Rogue Squadron one, two, and three, which are phenomenal games. 
They are. You had um, Shadow of the uh, Shadow of the Republic, or yeah, Shadow it, of the Empire. Shadow, Shadow of the Empire on the N sixty four, which I believe was a launch title. It was, yeah, and yeah, or at least within that launch window. Yeah, um, and that and, was a decent game. Yeah, some people loved it. Some people didn't love it as much, but it was still still received fairly well. Uh, you had Battlefield one and or Battlefront one and two were released during that time for PS two. Well, and you've uh, also got the ports for uh, Jedi Knights two and three. Yeah, which Jedi were Knights really two good three. games. Um, and, Knights of the Old Republic. Got, yeah, both of those were Xbox and PC. Yeah, um, you had when was uh, when was Tie Fighter and X Wing. Was oh, that... those were way back in the day. Those were like mid '90s MS DOS games. Okay, I mean those still were kind of their relevancy there. They were still chugging with those. Um, mid, so this would be like mid '90s to early 2000s. We also got, um, oh, what is the one that was? It, you were a group of clone soldiers, and it was like um, it's on Xbox and I think PS. Two. Oh, uh, Republic Commando came out about uh, around yes. episode two. Yeah, and a lot of people liked that one. It was kind that of that one weird. was actually pretty awesome. It was a pretty yeah. good like Star Wars facsimile of something like Halo. Yeah, and then you had like Pod Racer, which everyone's like, "Wow, this shouldn't be great, but it's pretty great." Uh, and you also had uh, was it Star Wars Masters of the Force or something like that on PlayStation, which is like a Star Wars fighting game. Uh, Masters of Tarascasi, which there we go. They actually name check that in Solo, like the martial arts style that the villain uh, teaches to Kira as well is Tarascasi, which I thought that was a very cute nod. I'm like, really? Somebody, somebody who's in charge of a Star Wars movie remembered that game? Yeah. Wow. So I mean, those that era between those two between. The you know sixty four bit era to the you know GameCube PS two Xbox era that just that alone and I'm missing so many there was a lot on the Xbox that I think were exclusive like um, like Jedi Academy I think you mentioned um, plus those I mean were, those just, were better on the PC but they were still yeah. really good on uh, as a port but yeah there there were so many they were doing at least three Star Wars games a year I'm pretty sure. Plus, that's when we got the introduction of Lego Star Wars, and really the Lego... I mean, that started the Lego games, truly, was Lego Star Wars 1 and 2. That's true. Yeah. Um, they still and, going strong. Yeah, and they were making games based on the movies themselves. So, like, those were those were times for Star Wars. Even people who were like me, who aren't, aren't really a huge Star Wars fan, I had enough that could pique my interest and make me go, okay, maybe I'll try that. Maybe I'll see if I'll like that. Like, like Battlefront 2. Like, I didn't play, even play the first Battlefront, but I played 2, and I was like, okay, I really like this. This is fun. This, I'm into this. I'm into this. And I'll poke around here and there with other stuff. Like, oh, maybe Rogue Squadron, because that was uh, Rogue Squadron 2 was a launch title for the GameCube. I'm like, okay, well, there's only three games on the GameCube right now, and this is one of them. And hey, this is a really good game. It I'm was. glad that I got a GameCube. Well, so there was, yeah, now, as you're saying, now what have we had in the last... Well, we've had... We've had... <laughs> we've had unfinished multiplayer mode, the game, and then, uh, you know, gambling addiction simulator, the game. Yeah, we have seen... At least those are the headlines that those games garnished, and 
And then there was the game by uh, by Visceral that didn't go anywhere, and it turned into a huge PR fiasco, which didn't help. Yeah, I mean that we lost that. We lost this. You know, we saw the screenshots of what Battlefield or Battlefront Three was going to be under the original. Yeah, that was going to be hardcore. Um, we've. I feel like we've lost multiple games. We haven't gained anything. We've seen Star Wars or Lego Star Wars re-released multiple times. Yeah. Um, like, I think we saw an up-res of all that, and maybe maybe a re, like a new version that also included um, Force Awakens, which is like okay, you, like it's kind of sad that they're not even making new Star Wars games. They're letting the Lego Star Wars franchise take care of explaining those to the new generation of gamers. Just kind of well, and we also uh, we forgot to mention the Force Unleashed games too. Those were a big deal at the time. Yeah, those that was 360 because they definitely were trying something new with those. Um, and we haven't had a new Force Awakens. I mean, part of that is because, or Force Unleashed, part of that's because I think when Disney bought Star Wars, they cracked down like, okay, all extended universe stuff is dead, and it's kind of like this weird. Well, now what do we do? Now, like, well, and, I think and that's that killed, it killed yeah. a lot of enthusiasm that people had, I think. When that, and I don't even think they meant to do that, but it kind of, I'm sure it killed a lot of people's excitement because not, suddenly it felt like the stories that you could tell were no longer infinite. They were now very finite because, you know, they had to go through corporate Disney and they had to be approved instead of kind of what it was, which was, Yo, you know how you know the basic rules of Star Wars? Sure, it's it's stars and there's a big ass war going on. Sure, sure, sure. What kind of race you got? I don't know. Here's a list of like four dozen races you could pick from. Pick one of those. Cool. What are they doing? Uh, nothing in particular with the rest of the story. Fine, go for it, and you're on. Enjoy. Well, that that's why I kind of wanted to try out the single player of Battlefront Two. Is it actually dives into the new expanded universe, namely? the fall of the empire and uh my one of my favorite bits of the new continuity is operation cinder which is the emperor's last like his dying orders which are basically go around to every important place i have in the galaxy and just burn it to a cinder namely naboo he orders his own home planet to be just raised to ashes and that's that's an interesting era. Uh, Battle of Jakku is a very interesting piece of fake history in this in a, in a galaxy far, far away. So the the game gave a single player campaign within that era that totally worked. Hmm. Uh, still felt really incomplete, especially since it ends on a cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. And I think they got one DLC installment out to kind of finish the story. And that's probably all they're going to get. But yeah, we do have a game to look forward to, though, because uh, Respawn has been brought up to do a Star Wars game. They're the folks behind Titanfall. Okay, so we'll see what happens. Yeah, because Titanfall 2 is an unfairly forgotten game and a really solid IP that they came up with. Both Titanfall games are good games. Yeah, yeah. Like, the first one was kind of... It was destined much to much like Battlefront. It was kind yeah. of half of a game. It was destined to fail because um, it went into an already saturated market, and it didn't. And it was single platform, so it didn't even have that cross appeal. And it was a good game, but it was again multiplayer only, which just cuts half of your audience right there. And I'm, I don't know. I'm really upset that the Titanfall IP is 
kind of going derelict. Like there's no plans for another sequel or anything. And, yeah, and I doubt it's, it. actually, it's actually a really, really good little military sci-fi universe that they created. I would love some Titanfall novels. I remember playing the first Titanfall a little bit. That was, I had fun playing it for a week or two that I, I think I checked that out from the library at one point and I was like, yeah, I'll play this. Oh, I, if you haven't played the single-player campaign from the second one, I totally recommend that. That's a heck of a game. Yeah. It's unexpectedly kind of kind of emotional, too, which is fun. Uh, but anyway, they're making a Star Wars game that is going to be called Star Wars Jedi colon Fallen Order, which is a little <laughs> bit unwieldy of a title. Um, Star Wars underscore Jedi colon... Semicolon, yeah. Semicolon, the real last one. This time he's really pissed off. <laughs> yeah. Asterisk. In 3D. <laughs> uh, yeah, so anyways, you're going to play as a Padawan who escapes Order 66 and is hunted down by the Empire. So it's kind of, they're going dark, but there's, you know, you're going to be a Jedi, so there's going to be lightsabers, there's going to be force powers. It's going to feel like Star Wars. Right. And uh, the CEO of Respawn said that the game, that I thought this quote was hilarious. He said that it's going to feel like the Force Unleashed, quote, without the Mountain Dew qualities, end quote. <laughs> Which, that's a pretty good burn. Mm-hmm. Um, it really paints a picture as to what he means. Yeah. And uh, it is going to be single player, probably, since he also added that Star Wars fans should keep Battlefront installed for any multiplayer itch, hmm. which you know I'm I'm ca- I'm cautiously optimistic about Fallen Order. I think that I think that they should aim towards something like Dad of War in Star Wars. That is the kind yeah. of game you should be aiming to make. Absolutely. I think. Uh, and I I kind of hate that Battlefront is being floated as the the IP's standard for multiplayer since. Star Wars multiplayer could be so many different things, and a base kind of basic first-person shooter is not ideal. But uh, I also just don't think that Battlefront's going to have any staying power, like Call of Duty or Battlefield or Fort or Fortnite. They want to. I think they kind of want to turn Battlefront two or three. Maybe if they do another one, they're going to try to make it more like a Fortnite or a or a player unknown. Mm-hmm. And that's a bad idea. Oh, of course. <laughs> I don't think that works with Star Wars. I'll tell you what I think, well, what company should get a hold of the license. Um, I think Bethesda should get a hold of uh, Star Wars to basically reskin, you know, Elder Scrolls or Fallout with Star Wars. I think that they would tell a good enough story. They would give you enough tools to basically go wild. You could, you pick from multiple races, multiple classes. You can kind of play it however you want. I think that would be the way to go. I think that would totally work, and I, I'd be down for it because I I love Bethesda and I mm-hmm. I love their open world games a lot. I've I've clocked in so many hours in Skyrim and Fallout that it's it's absolutely insane. So if you were to give me Star Wars in that same vein, I don't think I would need another game ever again. And that's me saying that within days of Red Dead Redemption 2, which is saying something. 
And there's a good segue. That's actually something worth talking about. Red Dead Redemption 2 is coming out, but man, is there a lot of uncomfortableness or surrounding this game now. Yeah, yeah. They had, uh, they were, it was last week that they were, Rockstar was kind of bragging about how many hours they were working to get the game out on crunch and yeah kind of of a weird thing to brag about is i mean i think how badly your project is being managed they were mentioning i think they said like 80 to 100 hour work weeks for some people which is just unacceptable that's appalling yeah i mean i understand crunch time happens but of course in gaming crunch time can sometimes be nothing but the only time like sometimes that's the only time is crunch time especially on giant triple a studios which it's it's shameful that these studios that make money hand over fist and some of them do and i feel like it's unfair to say that some are oh this is triple a they just make money because there are some studios that are triple a considered triple a but they're really not rolling in it but then you look at rockstar it's like uh uh-uh rockstar i'm sorry you are you have the most successful like entertainment property of all time um Grand Theft Auto Five has sold ungodly amounts of money, well, and, and they're still making money through Grand Theft Auto Online. It's still like a yeah. thriving community with a ton of it's, microtransactions. Exactly, they're churning out that much money, and I can't imagine that they are spending that much money—at least not in a realistic manner. So the fact that they're having crunch time on a game, which is an exciting game, you know, Red Dead Redemption Two is is an exciting prospect for a game. People are excited about it. It's cool. It's hitting a niche that is under, or, you know, or a market that's underserved. Those who want an open-world cowboy game, cool. Or they want, you know, another Grand Theft Auto-style game, but not Grand Theft Auto, because clearly that's being served right now. So well, do something new. I mean, my, I mean, it's pretty clear that the crunch time on Red Dead Redemption 2 specifically is release date related because they have pushed this game back i want to say three times now oh they yeah they can't they can't do it again well it, it they literally can. can't happen at this it can I mean, oh it, it can, totally can. can games can but, be pushed back as many times as they need but they're probably at that breaking point where they're looking logistically at it and going yeah if we don't start pushing it now we're gonna have to start thinking about holding it to the next console generation and yeah, that's yeah because which the first Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, Rockstar could withstand. They could. They could do that. They could hold it and wait and release it again, uh, or like just hold to release it for the next generation as a launch title or something. Or you know maybe they'd have to take longer because they have to up the engine. They could weather that storm without batting an eye. They have the capital to do it. Well, and th- but... this is also kind of history repeating itself because Grand Theft Auto Five was also. They put all their eggs in that basket, and they released it right at the tail end of a generation's life cycle, and it turned out totally, it was a huge success, but... It was a giant success. But to be fair, they put it out on the 360, and it kind of, by virtue of balls, I guess, just, just the cojones of putting it on... Was that three discs, that one? It was, that, that game barely should have functioned on that machine i don't know like i didn't play five i heard enough about it and i was like that sounds like it's probably a really good game that's not gonna serve my interests in gaming whatsoever and that's fine tracks that's exactly the case but i mean i love i I love five but Mm -hmm. it was that game should have they should have waited and put that out on 
the current generation, the Xbox One and PS4 generation. They still did. That's well, they, and they they had to because that's really where it lives. The online portion, yeah, it doesn't really work on the 360 generation the way it's supposed to. It it worked just fine, mm. but it, they needed the next generation. So with Red Dead Redemption, it's the same case where it's like they haven't made a major title since Grand Theft Auto V at mm-hmm. Rockstar, I don't think. So they've put all their eggs in one basket for the last, like, what, four years now? Mm-hmm. And they needed they needed to be not just a gigantic epic hit, they needed to be the possibly the biggest hit ever. They've essentially gone the Hollywood blockbuster model with yeah. every game being this gigantic, expensive extravaganza, and it has to break records in order to be considered a success. Oh, of course. And the first time they pushed the date back on this one, it was a huge PR disaster. Yeah. And but, but, I mean, it was a huge PR disaster from their point of view of, oh, I can't believe we have to come out and say that we're pushing it back from spring to the fall of, like, the next year or something like that. It was... It was a bad, bad day for whoever had to write that announcement, but mm-hmm. the community took it pretty well. The community was was pretty supportive and was like, no, 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 finish the game, do it right, we'll wait, no big deal. We will wait for the game to be done properly. It's weird because like that happens with gaming more often than I think companies seem to give credit for or that gamers seem to realize is that, A... If you've got a game, it behooves you not to tell anyone about it until you are pretty darn confident that you're in last legs of that game. Well, or and like... that's, they kind of did that with this one. I mean, they mm-hmm. did not confirm its existence until, until I want to say, 2000, midway through 2017. And they had yeah, been working that's true. on it. They had been working on it for years at that point. Yeah. So like it was kept, supposed to come out in spring of 18, too. Yeah, actually, now that you mentioned it, I do remember that they announced it officially, and I was like, they announced it officially? I thought that was already I thought that was already out or, like, already coming. Like, for some reason, I already assumed that it was a thing that we knew about. So when they're like, yeah, Red Dead Redemption 2 is announced, I'm like, but... They're like, yeah, right? <laughs> I was kind of looking <laughs> yeah. around like, yes? I mean... Yeah, they can't just do another Grand Theft Auto right now. They're still making too much money on Five and, and Grand Theft Auto Online, so why would they do another one yet? They gotta wait until maybe at least the next console. So they gotta, but they gotta release something because they gotta act like they're doing something to stay relevant. I guess. I kind of miss the days when Rockstar had their big giant blockbusters like a Grand Theft Auto, but then they had their weird little oddball projects. Like you remember the ping pong game that was like that was a launch title for the 360. And I do remember that one, yeah. Like that game came upon as a total accident because I guess the guy in charge of Rockstar was just super into ping pong. And so think... they were like, yeah, let's just make like the we are not a a studio that makes sports games, but let's just make the greatest like professional ping pong game that we could possibly make. And use it to showcase this new console. And if I remember right, that that game was a huge success for what it was. I f- I feel like it. Well, at least it was critically acclaimed at the time, and all the critics were like, "Excuse me, why is this game good?" And weirdly, <laughs> I haven't thought about that game until this exact moment. 
probably for 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at but least. that was a big demo game. That was when the oh, console yeah. first came out. That was the game that was in every in-store demo. That one and like Fight Night Round 3 upscaling. And, yes. That was, oh boy. That one, that one definitely got me jazzed. And Burnout Revenge. Oof. Some of my favorite games on the system. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah. that was a good one. Uh, I, I'm i excited for Red Dead Redemption 2, but I also... It, it does suck that this news dropped like right before... I, I wonder what they were thinking, say, like bragging about their 100-hour work weeks right before the game comes out. Thinking, they weren't thinking. They weren't. Like, because how how do you announce that not thinking, oh, this is going to make us sound like absolute, absolute, you know, slave drivers. This this is going to make this is going to make this look like abuse of workers. They didn't think that people who said it were clearly not thinking at all for the repercussions of what they would say. They were just talking. They were talking to talk and they were like, yeah, we're so excited. I mean, they were probably exhausted, too, thinking, oh, we're just so excited. This can't wait for this to come out because, I mean, hell, we've been we're in. We're going to cause some crunch time, 80, 80 100 hour week works. Yeah, we're going. And then everyone's like, hold on, take a step back there. You want to talk about that a bit more? No. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, you, you've, you've worked on video games. I never have, but. Yeah, because, I mean, the realities of things are really tough. Like, I, when I was at Nintendo, I never once encountered crunch time, even though I heard that they were as good, it was going to come. There was going to be crunch time. And granted, I was working in localization, and so like anything on the U.S. side is much less than the Japanese side. They, I'm sure, had much different conditions than we did. Oh, um, yeah, and they also have a different kind of work culture, too. That A little of... bit. I mean, they love, I mean, I, I don't know if this is just apocryphal or not, but I heard that like one of the greatest honors is if you fell asleep in like at work in like at japan like in a japanese company if you fall asleep at your desk that's considered like one of the greatest honors you can bestow to the company and they will look on you favorably not because like because they're like look you gave us everything you had and now you are so tired and exhausted that you couldn't even keep your eyes open anymore look look at how much you've Look at how hard you've worked and how much you've given. Whereas, you know, in the U.S., if we see someone falling asleep at their desk, we, we hey, how are you? Get back up. Yeah, I was, was going to say, I've, I've bestowed so much uh, so much on my company just in the last week then. Mm, yeah. It's like, I feel like with crunch time, I mean, U.S. right now, standard work week is 40 hours a week, which is high for the world. And that pisses me off. Um, and it's also not effective. 40 hours work weeks are not effective business hours. It's more effective to have something closer to 35 or less because they've done studies. They've found that after a certain point, employees don't actually produce better or more work. They just maintain like you have very quick diminishing returns the longer you work people. 50 hour work weeks, I can understand every so often when something big is happening Um events or a major product release or something where people work in a couple extra hours here and there or they're working a saturday it's not fun but i can imagine that 60 hour work weeks is where i'm like that's unacceptable people are working four extra hours a day like uh-uh someone's someone is failing someone else there if you're working 60 hour work weeks like you're not doing your workload well or your company is not managing your tasks well 
And past 60 hours, it's just atrocious. I mean, if you're working, you know, if you have 80-hour work weeks, like, no, uh-uh-uh-uh-uh, that's not if you're, okay. work, if you're working past 60 hours a week, then the quality of your work has to be noticeably dropping, I have I mean, to assume. Yeah. I mean, the question then starts to be begged about Red Dead Redemption 2. Um, if Would the product have come out sooner if they didn't crunch time to the point that they're bragging about, because that is diminishing returns. Mm -hmm. It's like saying, that's right. I, you know, I ate, I ate 100 candy bars. <laughs> I did it. And I did it in this amount of times. Like, okay, is that an accomplishment? You, you look like you're sick and you, that probably wasn't enjoyable. Like, Yeah. I, I've lost the train on this analogy, but the point I'm trying to make is that diminishing. I mean, this is this is basic stuff. We learned this senior year of high school in economics is diminishing returns are a thing. So let's assume that work productivity tanks after, like, severely tanks after 50 hours. Generously, yeah. we'll say that after 50 hour work weeks, your work becomes noticeably worse. Every couple hours you add to that, it becomes worse and worse. If you're working 80 hour work weeks. Your work is suffering to a painful degree, which is going to mean more errors, which means your QA is going to take longer, which means you're not going to be able to develop as efficiently, which makes things take longer. So the question then is, if they didn't do an 80-hour work week for so many people or so many people weren't stuck in this crunch time, would this game have been able to come out earlier? It's possible if people were refreshed and being able to do stuff you know, you more. You can make the argument that it that the put the uh, pushbacks on the release date of this game might have been directly affected by the by the crunch time. Could have been. I mean, all, obviously, we're just crystal balling here. This is all just. Oh yeah, this is this is not even Monday morning quarterbacking. This is Friday night quarterbacking. <laughs> exactly. So who knows? This is it's all just. And guesswork. I'm sure the game will be breathtaking and be. Oh yeah. The greatest experience I've had on a console, probably in, since the first one, because it's I'm I'm exactly the target audience for the game, so yeah. I'm I'm sure that I won't have much to contribute in terms of crit, a critical eye towards it. I'm just gonna gush about how good it is, probably. It's I mean the employees clearly put in the work. I mean we can't argue that they did. Um, but I mean, like they should be celebrated for the work they've done despite their bad management. Um, yeah. it's not their fault. Yeah. The people who made this game are not the ones who forced the crunch time and they're not the ones that are responsible for the awful conditions. They are, if we may be as melodramatic as possible, they are the true heroes that deserve well, yeah. the monument. Well, yeah, because I mean, you know, the quality of the product aside, the, the, the issue is not, Hey, you know, is is the game going to be good or not based on this crunch time? That that's so far in the rear view. Let's talk about how horrible a management issue it is just to have people working that much. That is clearly a case of it's not their work that's the issue; it's how they're organized, how it's structured. That there must be a problem there. Yeah, but. Uh, but they went they went right out and told us about it so we can have speculative conversations about it like this. Yeah. I think well, my, my cat's coming up on microphone scratching at my door here. Well, speaking of speculative, Smash speaking Brothers of spe Ultimate News. 
Um, there's a potential leak for the final roster of the game. As always happens when we get close to the final release of the game, um, which is December 6th right now. Um, they have currently announced a total of, I want to say, 75 characters, which is astonishing. That's, um, a, that's a ton. That is one metric ton of characters. Um, they new characters that they have announced have been relatively light because they've introduced the concept of an echo fighter, which they don't count as a full fighter. I still do count that as a full fighter. And it's clear that the designation between just fighter and echo fighter has total BS because we've got, we've got like four different types of characters that are all classified differently. Cause you've got a standard character like Mario. Mario is not, is just standard character. Then you have Dr. Mario, which is considered a different character entirely, but clearly a clone character. Dr. Mario is just Mario remixed. But then you've got something like, um, like Lucina is clearly a clone character of Marth. That's an Echo Fighter now. So like, okay, we've added Echo Fighter. Sure, sure. But then they release Isabel is not an Echo Fighter of Villager, clearly a clone of Villagers. Like, wait, so what? What's your designation? What makes an Echo Fighter? Oh, well, they're basically just a carbon copy. Like, okay. Like, Krom. Yeah, Krom is an Echo Fighter of of Roy, even though he has some of Ike's moveset. Like, so wait, he's like a double Echo Fighter? Can you explain? Like, no, we can't because we're too busy making new characters. And so they've announced total new uh, the Inkling kids, mm-hmm. uh, Inkling girl, Inkling boy from Splatoon, which is an exciting new character. Um, Ridley from Metroid, which was exciting. Uh, King K. Rule, which is my my boy. I'm going to play some King K. Rule. He looks so much fun. Yeah, Most, I'm surprised I, he hasn't come into one of these sooner than now. Yeah, like his announcement was phenomenal, and I'm just happy because I'm at the stage in dad life where I run like King K. Rule. I think there's a stage yeah. in all dad life where we all run like King K. Rule. With yeah, a drum, that's true. Drum, 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 like head down, like drum, 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 like big barreling, barreling dad forward. Um, they've announced um, Krom as an Echo Fighter. They announced Dark Samus as an Echo Fighter. They announced Daisy as an Echo Fighter. Daisy is also one of my top excitement points for this game because Daisy's my girl. And, um, and yet again, I can't believe she hasn't been in one of these sooner. Yeah, and um, finally, the most recent character they... Oh, I'm sorry, the most other recent characters they announced. Um, uh, Simon Belmont was a huge, obvious one that everyone's assumed would show up eventually. Like, yeah, we still haven't had Castlevania representation in this game that's all about celebrating stuff that's all the way back in Nintendo's you know past on like the NES, and Castlevania was essential on the NES and Super NES, so naturally, Simon Belmont was necessary. And then we not only got Simon Belmont, we got Richter Belmont as an Echo Fighter of Simon. So that was cool. And then they just announced Isabel last month in the last Direct as a new character entirely. So now we're like, okay, now what do we have left? Everyone is still wondering... Because they said, oh, don't expect too many new fighters. But, like, you clearly, we clearly have just got a lot of fighters. And Echo Fighters add the new element of what, what will an Echo Fighter be? What can it be? Is it someone from the same series? That's why, like, the new leaks, there's a couple characters that seem pretty obvious to me. Um, that I still, whether the leaks are true or not, I still think these are locked in Echo Fighters. Shadow of the Hedgehog has yet to be reconfirmed as an assist trophy. 
everyone assumes he's going to be an Echo fighter for Sonic, and I think that's more or less obviously confirmed. Uh, so that's been in and, this and a pretty obvious move too. Yeah, pretty obvious move. Um, Sega and Nintendo have had a really good relationship lately. Sonic has been essential with a lot of Mario stuff. It just kind of makes sense for Shadow to show up as an Echo Fighter. He's the easiest implementation. Perfect. Um, meanwhile, Ken for for Ryu, um, I think that is another obvious Echo Fighter. That one that we've seen multiple screenshots for people trying to claim that, yes, Ken is, of course, in the game as an Echo Fighter for Ryu. I don't need to care whether the screenshots are doctored or not. I think that that Ryu is a pr- or a Ken is a pretty solid. Yeah, he's going to show up. I mean, I've seen some people argue well, Ken is the original Echo Fighter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's that's games. kind of why why it works. Yeah, he's literally American Ryu, and that's like, yep, it sure is. So he's 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 in this in this league. Other ones which are interesting uh, that have me excited, um, they mentioned that Gino from Super Smash or uh, for Super Mario RPG has been rumored as a character, and everyone has been assuming that because of the trend of the me costume characters from, uh, or like me costumes from Smash Brothers for Wii U and 3DS. A lot of those characters have suddenly been confirmed as full characters. We've so far received. Um, Inklings, um, Kinke Rule, Krom, uh, and Isabel have all been confirmed. And I think they even had a Ridley hat at the time, but I might be wrong. So at least like they've had a handful of those kind of shown back up. And in addition, there are certain assist trophies that were not shown or elements that were not shown that had people curious, like, could this character maybe not be an assist trophy, maybe like full character. Hence why Shadow feels like a, a, a gimme because they didn't show Shadow was an assist trophy. They instead showed off that Knuckles was an assist trophy, kind of taking a supposed Sonic s- slot. Um, but they haven't shown me costumes, and Gino was an, like in the next line for like most wanted characters and most wanted me costumes as well. So Gino seems like he's a pretty solid fit for this, especially yeah. with Cloud coming in. So like Squaresoft or Square Enix and Nintendo are clearly working well together lately, even more so after they announced a boatload of Final Fantasy games remade or remastered and placed on the Switch, including Final Fantasy 7, 9, 10, and 12. It's like, wow, oh, that's oh. a lot again. Yeah, it's a lot of get. So it's like, okay, well, now we officially have 7 is going to be on a Nintendo product. That's bonkers. And then, you know, Crystal Chronicles Remastered is showing up, and that was a huge get. And a lot of other stuff. Uh, Octopath Traveler is a phenomenal game, and that's Square Enix. And so totally makes sense that they would include Geno. I think there's a really high chance for Geno. I'm hoping for him. I'm pulling for him. Um, I'm also pulling my number one I'm pulling for is Isaac from Golden Sun. That's rumored as well to show up. And I think that's a pretty, a pretty likely uh, inclusion is, is, uh, is Isaac from Golden Sun because they've, they've hinted at it. He had been an assist trophy in Brawl. He had been missing in action in Smash 4. And yeah. now it seems like in this one it's very high. It's possible because they've teased at him. There are some screenshots that teased at the possibility, like Sakurai loves to troll people, and he had an a uh, a screenshot that he posted, for like a daily screenshot that looked like the 
golden sun battle kind of um appearance where you like golden sun is an rpg you have four characters lined up in a specific way facing an enemy and he had lined up three characters facing an enemy with one character oh, yeah. off the side that you couldn't see. Yeah, I think I saw this, yeah. Yeah, so that seemed like a pretty high likelihood that Isaac would become a character. Isaac makes sense. There's a lot you could do that would be unique, and Sakurai likes to create characters with very unique abilities and you and movesets. He doesn't, because I think that's one reason why people, you know, were wondering, like, why would you include someone, or why wouldn't you include someone? It's like, well, he doesn't want to just copy a character other than the Echo Fighters. He wants to make, if someone's going to be new... And they're going to be exciting. They're going to be new and exciting. We're going to make a big darn mechanic for that character. And this is totally in line with that. Um, but then we start to get in the realm of, are you kidding me? Where uh, it's rumored Banjo-Kazooie is in the final roster. Um, Which would make sense, honestly. It would. And Banjo-Kazooie is another one of the very highly requested ones. Banjo-Kazooie would fit perfectly in this game. It's not like Microsoft or Rareware are, are doing anything with Banjo-Kazooie at this moment. Yeah. And Phil Spencer has even publicly stated that he would totally be fine with Banjo-Kazooie appearing in Smash Brothers. Plus, Nintendo and Microsoft seem to have kind of a buddy-buddy, wink-wink, let's stick it to Sony attitude going on right now. And I'm kind of all for that. So <laughs> yeah. I think this is a 50-50 chance. This is not impossible. It's not even a weird inclusion to say that Banjo-Kazooie could show up in the game. I think it's very likely, but it's also just as likely that this is wishful thinking and it's still like, no, it's still outside that realm. They're not quite there. Nintendo's not ready to bury the hatchet with an active like main competitor to allow for you know, essentially a first-party character to show up on their competing competing thing even though banjo kazooie doesn't have any games coming out right now there's been no games since uh nuts and bolts way back on the 360 um they had their replay had all of them yeah they did um but i mean nothing new for banjo kazooie and i mean microsoft doesn't have even a smash brother style game like at least sony has tried stuff with uh playstation all-stars battle royale just didn't pan out great for them so like i think this is likely that banjo kazoo could be um but then we get even weirder and they've included i've seen in this leak that the chorus kids from rhythm heaven fever rhythm heaven series um and i think this is i've kept hearing people say oh yeah yeah they're totally going to include it they a lot of people thought they were going to be one of the characters in smash 4 Lots of leaks said they were totally included. Some people said, oh, I saw this. I saw the images of it. They were totally real, and they were in the documents, and blah, blah, blah. And I can't imagine how they would work. A lot of people are assuming they would work like Ice Climbers. And, and I mean, I have played the Rhythm Heaven games. Um, played at least the one on the DS and the one on the Wii, and they're great games, and I love them, and I don't see how the Chorus Kids would work. But then again, Sakurai has made weirder characters work. So I don't know. It seems like people really stretching. And the biggest stretch I've seen is someone say that Mock Rider is going to become a character. And I'm absolutely... That's like the least likely. But I accept that I think that Mock Rider would probably just be an Echo Fighter for Captain Falcon. Yeah, that, that seems more likely to me. Because, I mean, Mock Rider is about the... Hard part is they have made move sets and characters off of characters similar that have so little personality 
um, or at least not necessarily presented, but so little to go off of that they're just interpreting it however the heck they want to. I mean, we've had Rob the Robot. We've had Duck Hunt. We have had um, Ice Climbers was the original where everyone's like, what? These are the characters from this game that it's like you interpret from one game and you're going to give us this like, yep, here we go, Ice Climbers. And they're a character everyone loved. And it's like, yep, that moveset makes perfect sense. So it's not weird necessarily they would pick a character from a game that doesn't make any sense. But like Mock Rider, that's a weird grab. Yeah, it's, it's an grab. interesting choice. A very interesting choice. Um, kind of a silly choice. Like that's a way pullback. So I think that it's likely that character could be an Echo Fighter for Captain Falcon, even though I think there would be stronger Echo Fighters. I really wish that we could. I mean, my Echo Fighter that I number one want would be Wart from Super Mario Brothers 2 USA. As we know him, like from Super Mario Brothers 2, the big frog that doesn't like vegetables. He would basically just be Bowser. I mean, he's an echo of Bowser. He has all Bowser's move sets, except instead of breathing fire, he breathes bubbles because that's what he does in the game. Simplest sort of like echo fighter would be perfect. Uh, but yeah. I don't make the rules. And of course, this is all, everyone's kind of making a bigger deal about this roster than I think they should. Um, because already the roster we're getting is is full. Like this is a good, I mean, a phenomenal roster. The new inclusions are already enough. If they stopped including characters now, I'd already be psyched for it. They've included enough new characters that it looks cool, and they've already brought back every other character. So it's like, yeah, this is really definitive edition. They've brought back a hundred stages. I wish they would make new stages. It seems like there's only been about five new stages announced, which is kind of like. Okay, like, yeah, like, don't throw away all the good stuff you've done in the past, but maybe give me more something new, because I like new stuff. Yeah. Uh, and so that's kind of interesting, but, you know, neither here nor there. So no, got... yeah, I, I agree with you. It'd be nice to get some stages that, you know, some, something to evolve alongside the roster list. Sure. And, I mean, yeah, you don't want to make a fully new... Yeah, I guess they don't want to make a fully new stage every single game. And they've done that, uh, which is kind of disappointing me now that they of the new stages they've shown, they have shown a new Mario Odyssey-based stage, which is another transition stage, which I think was is a huge detriment to the series, is that yeah, uh, Smash 4... Yeah, Smash 4, I think both the 3DS and the Wii U had way too many transition stages, where it's like, oh, it's a new stage, really? Like, yeah... You get on a platform, the platform flies around and then changes stuff. It's like, okay, okay. I mean, yeah, they're fine. They're fun. I like them enough, but I want more unique stages. Like Mario Galaxy stage was unique in Smash 4, where it's this flat stage so that you can't dunk anyone, which I usually don't like. But that one I like because it's curved and gravity's kind of weird, and it's just very unique that way. Um, but... You know, I don't I don't really like transition stages as much. I like uh, I like something built that has the personality, not like the bare bones, like, you know, town and uh, town and village or uh, town and city and Smashville. The two Animal Crossing stages that we had previously in Smash Brawl and then Smash 4, they had a new one, which I don't can't deliver. I don't know the difference between the two. I haven't even bothered to learn the difference between the two because they're basically the same stage to me. It's, you know, platforms that move. And you in the background, you see like Animal Crossing aesthetic, but it's still just the same thing to me. And they're fine, fun stages, but they're just not nothing about it says Animal Crossing other than the set dressing. And that's why the 3DS 
Animal Crossing stage, which was Tortimer Island, I liked because this is like, oh, this is definitely an Animal Crossing stage. Oh, yeah, I love that one. Yeah, like, oh, here I am. I'm on an island, and it's unique, and I there's trees that can fall down, and there's a... And they're uniquely placed every time you start up. And, oh, here's a little hut in the background. And, oh, here's a dock. And, oh, you can get eaten by a shark. And it's like, I like that. That was unique, very, very unique. And here they've got, um, what else have they shown? Uh, Moray Towers, which was a new Splatoon stage, which looks um, weird. It's going to be a lot of vertical fighting, which is fine. Uh, They showed off the new Breath of the Wild. Um, Sheikah Tower... Uh, stage, which to me, I'm kind of indifferent. It looks just like a flat stage with the top that breaks and then re- reforms really quickly. And I'm like, eh, okay, I've kind of seen stages like that, but it's still beautiful. Uh, and beyond that, I actually don't think they've been... Oh, the uh, Castlevania stage, which is going to just have a crap ton of like guest bosses keep showing up. And if you don't turn off stage elements and stage edges, I'm pretty sure you're just going to hate your life playing that stage. You're not going to be able to do anything else but just fight the like the mummy and the and death and and all these other things that keep popping up. Uh, that doesn't sound very appealing to me personally, but I can I can see how some folks would dig it. Yeah, I mean the stage itself looks like it'll be fun if you turn off the stage elements. And the nice thing is, I like that they've given that option. You can turn off stage elements, so that's really cool. That there's enough stages that are like, yeah, that stage would have been great if you could turn off the, the stage elements. And so it kind of does revitalize older stages like. Mega Man stage in both 3DS and Wii U was a great stage until the Yellow Devil showed up and then the stage was just no fun. And so being able to turn that off is great. Yeah, that's true. Um, But, yeah, I am kind of disappointed that they haven't shown more just raw new stages. I would love to see just a, like, most franchises, I would love to see a new Pokemon stage based off of, you know, the Alola version or, you know, whatever i would love to see something new from star fox i would love to see something new from metroid especially since we got two new metroid character inclusions i'd love to see that i'd love to see a new donkey kong country stage because now we have king k rule and like yeah they already have a pirate ship so they don't necessarily need that but i would still love to see some more inclusion from that um but you know this is just me like here i am having over a hundred stages to choose from and i still say not enough give me more Oh, yeah, yeah. Of course, that's how it goes. I mean, and it's interesting that they had said that we will know the full roster and we'll know everything in the game before it comes out December 6th, which makes me wonder, well, when are you going to give me those last details then? You're you're getting down to having, you have about a month and a week to give us all the details. Really fast. Yeah, and like, undoubtedly, there will be a, a Smash Brothers Direct before that, same as they did with, um wii u in 3ds but again like i don't think the roster is that worrisome because again everything they've shown i'm happy with it if the new if this leak is true awesome i don't feel like any characters were really snubbed because how can you snub when you're delivering that many characters um but more than anything no matter what happens we know there's gonna be dlc to this game it's it's obvious they're going to DLC the hell out oh, yeah. of it. They, they, they did DLC be... for... Yeah, they introduced DLC in the last game, and it was very successful, and it's clear that they're going to pump out as much as they can in this time frame, and then they're going to do DLC. I mean, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility to see you know, new characters and new stages being continually added through DLC for the next however many years because the Switch is selling very, very well. I mean, for at yeah, least two yeah. years, I think you'll see consistent stuff. 
And uh, th this could be, I mean, Smash Brothers was, that was the game that sold systems, and it has mm -hmm. been several times. It could be the game that continues to sell Switches well past the end of the generation. It could be, yeah. If it's if it's done right. Mm-hmm. And, and, if, and if the DLC is done right, especially, that's what's going to keep this game going for years after the release date. Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> Anyways. Um, well, while we're on the subject of games and years gone by, you had an exciting weekend uh, just this last weekend. Yeah, it was a good weekend. I attended Portland Retro Gaming Expo. Uh, which happens every year uh, over here in Portland. I have been attending for the last, I want to say, four years now. Um, At least, yeah. Yeah, I think it's only been, I've only been going for four years, but it's been pretty solid, and I am still liking it. And I, every time I talk to people about it, I try to explain what it feels like, and it feels like PAX before PAX became too big. And it's at this really... Not dangerous spot, but it's at the spot where it either has to shrink or it has to grow. And if it shrinks, it'll implode and it'll die. If it grows, it might explode and die. But it's got to do one or the other. And they're at the tipping point here where they could easily flow over and become packs, which would be a bad thing because that would be too much, too big, and just exhausting. It's already yeah, pretty PAX big. Is already, PAX is already way too big. It's already at least a day longer than it should be. Not even at least. It is a day longer. I mean, it's four full days. Portland Retro has been smart. They have two full days and a Friday over, like, kind of spillover day where the expo hall itself and the vendor hall is not open, but the, like, free play arcade is open for most of the Friday night. That's not too um, bad. Yeah, there's no panels Friday, so you don't feel like you're missing out there. And overall, ticket prices are pretty low and like very affordable. Like I think it's under it's under like around thirty dollars. I think for the full weekend pass, which is pretty good. Oh, that's not bad at all. Not bad at all. It also gets a lot of you know good YouTubers, like YouTubers that are my friends. So I like to see them show up. It gets good industry, like retro industry experts that pop in. Constantly, they have the um, video game museum shows up. Last year, it was all focused on Atari because it was Atari's um, big big Atari anniversary. I forget what which one it was, but it was a big Atari anniversary. This year, it was all focused on the NES, and I'll tell you that it was a that was a hell of a thing to walk in and look at it because it's you know beautifully set up and and they actually had displayed an entire complete in box collection of NES games. Oh, wow. in this, just in these setup and it's cool because it's just alphabetical th right on through um with this you know in this clear case and you can it's a thin case so you can see each game front and back you can turn around behind me you see the back of the box I'm like holy crap that's that's phenomenal and just a bunch of cool stuff i mean last year they had showed off the um nintendo playstation uh prototype someone got a hold of it last year and they were able to show it and they had it back this year which is if anyone doesn't know, Nintendo was working with Sony to create the Nintendo PlayStation, uh, which is going to be a new add-on to the to the Super Nintendo. And it uh, Nintendo screwed over Sony after they had already made this thing, and uh, they they quietly dropped uh, dropped partnership with Sony and, and worked with Philips to make something that was going to be different. And uh, that 
pissed Sony off so much that they created the Sony PlayStation, which ended up kicking Nintendo's butt for years to come. Meanwhile, Nintendo worked with Philips, created the, you know, Nintendo stopped working with them, but Philips still had the license to use Nintendo characters, hence why the Philips CDI, a garbage system, has three Zelda games and a Mario game on it. Uh, oh, wow. But, I remember that system. Wow. Yep. But the... um. But the so the Nintendo PlayStation is a weird thing because it is not a release system. This is a prototype system, but it still exists, and it's basically a a weird look. It's it's kind of a Mandela effect almost. You look at this system and you can physically touch it and look at it and play it because they have games that work on it. Because really, it just kind of upscales a couple Super Nintendo games, and so they're like, yeah, you try this out. And you look at it and you're just like. This exists in this world and in another universe, in another realm where choices were made differently. This is a touch point where everything changed for gaming. Again, like this is a moment where everything shifted in a new direction and Nintendo and Sony were a mega partnership that just trounced everything and like rolled over Sega and Sega imploded and then Microsoft maybe never have had a chance like, who knows what that alternate universe, but you look at it right there, you're like, wow, that is the nexus point between our universe and another alternate universe. It's kind of a weird thing. And somebody needs to write the book on the, the Nintendo PlayStation. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's doc, well documented, I'm sure. It's, I mean, it's been well documented, but it is. Any, I would anybody love to who's looking for a really good, uh, a really good nonfiction project to work on, there you go. That's a great one. Yeah, that's that's your that that I mean, I want to see a fiction version where it is the nexus point, and basically someone like acquires this thing and somehow alters all of reality to a reality where it did be come out and was a thing. That would be fun, but so it's cool to see that. Um, otherwise, like I went all three days of the show. Uh, the Friday I spent all day there uh, just kind of bopping around the arcade because it's all free play arcade. A lot of it's provided by Ground Control, Quarter World, and a couple other places. Tons of pinball machines. Um, I just kind of, you know, wandered through and played as many arcade games as I could choke down, essentially. Popping in, playing games that I had never even tried before. Game Classic games like Sinistar. I've never played that game. I've heard about it. I've seen it, but I never played it. Finally played it this weekend. I'm like, okay, Scratch that one off. Played that one. Um, you know, played the classics. You know, played some played some Donkey Kong. Played some. I uh, played some Super Mario Three like action replay, or like or play choice. 10, I forget what it's called, but like basically, there's an arcade that has Super Mario Brothers Three on it, and played through that. Basically, got to the eight to World Eight and found myself struggling because using a joystick and the buttons is just not as comfortable as using a controller as well sure after years and years of muscle memory doing it with the controller that's yeah. it's jarring and so that was hurt it was hurting my hands and i ended up getting to the airship not the airship uh the like air force level where you have to jump from little ships to little ships and it was i could do it if i really tried but i just was like i think i'll let someone else try this now i'm gonna walk away um played a bunch of good pinball games Pinball just pinball is something I think I would get really into if given the chance, just because I love how smooth pinballs move through the machines, and I'm fascinated by pinball machines and all the mechanics and everything that happens. Even the simplest mechanics, just a bumper where like you barely, it feels like the ball barely touches the bumper and it goes whack. 
Yeah, you know. I, I could see the same thing happening with me. Pinball is, I, I've always been fascinated by pinball machines. Part of it is I'm, you know, a movie nerd. So mm-hmm. they make a pinball machine out of some of the weirdest ideas for movies. Like, why, why would you consider making a pinball machine out of Scarface? But okay, why not? Let's do it. <laughs> it's fascinating to see. I mean, I've seen a little, a couple little like houses made, and I saw like how someone makes a pinball machine. Like, wow, that's just phenomenal. Um, what else did I play? Oh, I played. Um, uh, Pig Squad has uh, Portland representation. So, Pig Squad, if those who don't know, it's the Portland Indie Game Squad. Um, I've been to a few of their meetings. Um, main guy who one of the main guys who runs that his name's Will. Super nice guy. Um, he, this, uh, pick squad is great because they promote a lot of the indie games around Portland as you expect. But one thing that they're really pushing right now is, uh, the world next door, a game made by, uh, Rose city games, which is a new like indie studio that's finally getting buzz, uh, here in Portland. And it's an interesting, it's a very interesting game that I've seen screenshots. I've seen trailers and I basically wrote the game off looking at going, eh, yeah, it looks pretty indie. It looks pretty. Eh, I'll, you know, it'll be a thing and I'll ignore it. I finally got to sit down and play a demo of the game. And in playing the demo, I was blown away. I was like, oh, 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 I get it. I understand how this is played and I get it. And I want more of this right now. When is it coming out? 2019. Oh, Oh. no. Give it to me now. Because it like it scratched that itch really well. As soon as I saw how it's played, and and I even talked to the guy, talked to Will about it. I was like, "Hey, yeah, this is my experience. Like now that I played it, I get it. But man, the trailers and the screenshots don't quite do it justice." And he's like, "I've actually heard that feedback, and that is something we're trying to figure out how to get through." And that's it's fascinating to see that in real time because that is going to be the make or break for that game. I think the game has the potential to do really, really well. And I hope that like Nintendo features it as a Nindy title or something that like, gives it a big push to push it over on the Switch because it is going to be on Switch and PC. And it will do well on Switch, I think, if people know to look for it and are ex- and excited for it. And otherwise, unless it gets big notoriety, it's going to be forgotten. And that's a bummer because it's it. So I want to see Portland's indie scene get bigger so that Portland can have more than just an indie scene. Sure, totally. Yeah. Uh, one of the other big games that I played at this demo booth was a game called Gato Roboto, and it is a so oh, so my jam. It's a Metroidvania style game where you um, a, a ship crashes on this alien planet, and the captain isn't able to get out of the ship, but his little kitten, which he just calls Kitty, gets out of the ship, and it's up to Kitty to rescue the captain, basically. And you play as this little cute little cat who has to run through this alien world. And in the next area, you get in this tube and you're given a mech suit that you can hop in and out of at any time. And you have basically can fire a blaster and a missiles and do like spin jumps and stuff. And it's just delightful that it's... It, it does sound pretty, pretty damn fun. It's it's hilarious because it's still like Metroid style because you're going to get power ups and things. But what's hilarious to me is that every time you get in a, a new power up, like you get a health power up, the captain pops on and he's like, "It's like you found a new health power up." Meow. It's like, "Good job, kitty." Meow. And like away you go, and it's just like 
I don't know, just having the captain say, good job, Kitty, like, is very endearing to me. So that was... Yeah, that totally works. Uh, Meanwhile, the expo hall itself, uh, the vendors are always... I mean, it can be really tricky. I don't particularly like the retro collecting scene because it's just exhausting. There are games I would like to play and I'd like to own, but they're just so expensive that it just doesn't even feel worth it to look. It's just, it's so degrading to see. It's like a game that I would love to play and own is Act Razor 2 on the Super Nintendo. Very rare game for the most part because it is, no one really bought it because it came out near, not necessarily the end of the Super Nintendo's lifestyle uh, or lifetime, but um, because it came out at the end of Quintet's uh, life, a company that produced games like including Act Razor, um, Soul Blazer, Illusion of Gaia, Terra Enigma, and then Act Razor 2. I like the other four games that they released. I want to play Act Razor 2. I've heard it's not as good as Act Razor 1, which is one of my favorite all time games. Um, but, like, it's one of those where it's not a good game. It's not necessarily a bad game. It's just a rare game. And so, of course, you're not going to find it for cheap. And I don't want it in box. I don't want it with manual. I just want the cart, and I want to play it legit. But I'm not ever going to get to play that legit unless I spend a lot of money or I get stupid lucky and find someone who doesn't know what they have and is willing to sell it for, like, dirt cheap. Yeah. Because... It's never going to get re-released. It's never going to be in any functional place legally to get because who owns the rights to this franchise anymore? No one, really. Quintet got absorbed into, I think, Enix, which is now a Square Enix, and it's pretty much gone. Like, they all, you know, we've not seen anything about ActRaiser or the, the Soul trilogy, or the Gaia trilogy, excuse me. Uh, so it's like... These games are probably just gone. Well, and, they're rare for a reason. It's because they were no they were no beloved classics. They were just very functional, very seldom seen games. Yeah, there's kind of like there's there's a handful. I mean, you can get a lot of beloved classics for cheap. You can get Super Mario Three or the original Mario Brothers or Mega Man One or Two. A lot of these for very reasonable prices, uh, twenty to thirty dollars for some of those. Not too bad. Um, but then, like, Mega Man is a weird franchise because Mega Man 1 through 6 are on the NES, and those have all been re-released at this point multiple times on multiple platforms, even as early as last year, or I think this year, actually, with the Mega Man collection on Switch. Um, Mega Man 1, fairly cheap price, nothing too crazy. Mega Man 2, also fairly cheap. Mega Man 3 starts to go up in price, like from $20 to $30 type thing. 4 goes up again to like $40 to $50. 5 and 6 can easily be over $100 each because they they made less of them and they were less beloved, so people bought less of them. So it's like, what the hell is going on? And that's just the part that gets gets me, is that there's not a lot of games left that I want anymore, like to own, but there are a few that I'll just get the bug, like, oh, I would love this game. Like, I would love Battletoads Double Dragons on the Super Nintendo. Oh, look at that. That game is going to be over $50 just because it's a little harder to find. Yeah. Beautiful. 
It's like there there seems to be like those type of things pop up where I'm like, I would love to own this game, but not at that cost. Like that's when it gets too extreme for my for my tastes. Well, for you, I mean, it would be like a one-off thing that would be more a conversation piece than anything. So how much, you know, how much do you really want to part with for something that's mostly a conversation piece? Yeah. And a lot of it is that I want to play it to see if I'd like it and probably won't like some of these games. I may play it once and then go, okay, cool, I did it. Now I don't ever have to play it again. Um, I mean, I'm not even like actively engaging with my retro games these days because I my backlog is already extreme enough and I've kind of shifted towards newest stuff I have and that's it. But, you know, I'll pop back in every, I'll get, I'll get that urge to go back to something, but they're, yeah, again, the games that like Bucky O'Hare, I wanted that on the NES and that was my, my white whale the last couple of years of Portland retro until my sister got me a cart for Christmas a few years back. And it was awesome. And it was clearly a reproduction cart. But then again, I didn't care. I got to play it on the NES, and it functioned perfectly, and I'm sure she didn't pay that much for it, because even though Bucky O'Hare on the NES is well over $100, just loose cart, she probably paid like 20 for the repo cart, and I was like, fine, that's cool, that's great, it's exactly what I want to do, because no one owns the rights to the Bucky O'Hare game anymore. Capcom made it back when Capcom was making really cool Mega Man-style games on the NES, but they don't have the license to Bucky O'Hare anymore, and probably no one has a license to Bucky O'Hare games anymore. So that's that game's well, effectively gone. And and it doesn't matter to you whether or not the card is vintage. I mean, you're just in it for the game. I'm just in it for the game. I didn't like really like I don't like to emulate mostly because I don't like to play on something other than the original system. So if you can give me a cart that works in the original system, that's really all I want. So that was like that. So that's the hard part about the vendor hall is that. I, I can't really find deals anymore. I still make it a point to buy at least one thing every expo. This year I went in with one goal. I wanted to find Charlie, my four-year-old, a Froakie doll. Froakie being one of the starter Pokemon from Gen 6. Because when I got... He started getting a Pokemon with me last year. Um, we started watching the Netflix series. Or not, you know, it was on Netflix, the anime, uh, Pokemon anime. Which at that time Netflix had acquired basically Gen 6 cartoons. So he starts watching, and he immediately likes Froakie, because Froakie's fun, and he's he's a cool guy in that show. And we watched a handful of that, and he's like, oh, I want to be Froakie. I'm like, oh, yeah, i got to get you a Froakie doll. And I go out to the stores and realize, now we are in Gen 7, which means Gen 6 stuff is impossible to find anywhere, and it just doesn't feel as fun to get it online. So I'm like, well, if I can't find it in person, it doesn't matter. Now, you know, he's still, he, he's now into like Gen 7 as well, but he's kind of jumping around all over the place. He just likes all Pokemon, so I'm excited, and I was like, I'm going to get him a Froakie doll. Found him one for $5, perfect little size for him, it was excellent. Then I also like, well, Lily, who's one, she's now at the age where she realizes when she's not getting something and she gets ticked off. So, yeah. I'm like, I got to get her something too, so I'm like, well, I, she doesn't. She likes Pokemon well enough, she doesn't know anything about it, but she just likes stuff. And I'm like, well, she likes dogs. And here's a Jolteon doll. My, Jolteon's my favorite Pokemon. He's kind of like a little, like a dog, cat, fox, bunny thing. Perfect. Another $5. Like, perfect little, like, spend. Spent $10 total on actual, like, expenses there. I was really pleased with that. Um, yeah, and, that's, that's pretty decent. That's much yeah. better than I do whenever I go to a convention of any kind. Mm-hmm. Um... My panel went really well. I was happy. It was on localization. It was with uh, I had my buddy 
Rue from Clan of the Gray Wolf, which longtime fans of Media Sandwich might know Rue. Uh, he was on it with me, and uh, Norm, the gaming historian, was also on the panel with me. He was another friend who I see. Basically, I see those two guys only once a year, and it's only during Portland Retro, so it's exciting to have them on a panel with me. And mostly just there to be back up. Because it was a fun panel. Uh, it was well-received from the people who were there. I My goal was to fill a third of Auditorium C, which is the smallest one. And we almost filled a third of that auditorium. But then again, we were kind of at a disadvantage. We were going up against like a big keynote panel, which was... Well, I you, think were, it was you were late in the day on Sunday, too, were you not? We were. We were 2 p.m. on Sunday, which is getting getting there. People are fatigued at the end of, you know, midway through Sunday. Uh, the panel up against ours was one that was hosted by Tommy Tallarico, who was kind of the headliner there. Um, so that was, that was that. I didn't actually get to meet Tommy. I saw him constantly because he was there, um, but I didn't talk to him, even though I, like, I recognized him. I knew who he was, and he's a heck of a lot shorter in person, even though he looks pretty short in everything you might have seen him from. And I was so tempted to just go up to him like, hey, big Tom Tallarico. But I didn't do that because he probably really would have hated that. Um, yeah, probably. Yeah, probably. I mean, who wouldn't hate that? <laughs> but I did have uh, probably my favorite random moment of the expo was uh, Sheree and I went to uh, a dinner. It was like a... Uh, a banquet dinner right before the auction that they do every year because we had been invited from being a guest. Um, I got a free plate and they said I could have a plus one, so I invited my wife. So she got to meet some people there. Uh, finally got to meet Norman Rue, and she also got to meet um, Derek Alexander and Grace Kramer, who are from the show Stop Skeletons from Fighting, who a couple other friends of mine um, who I did, did some dinner with this weekend. And they were there, and we were all kind of hanging out. And first we go to this one, they're like, okay, so you're supposed to be at table one. So we go to table one, but table one is full. So I'm like, okay, well, I guess we're just going to find a table. So we find a table, and we sit down. I'm like, why do we sit here? I'm like, sure, no, no problem. We eat there, and everything's going fine until some people show up like, excuse me, uh, we were told we're supposed to sit here. I'm like, oh, okay, well, you know, we're, we're orphaned from our table too. Sorry about that. Like, yeah, well, we paid to have all four of us sit together. So I don't want to be that guy, but... I was like, I get you. And we look over and we see like one table's completely empty, but it's like, okay, whatever. So we get up and we leave to go find a new table since our, our official table is still full. We find another one that's got a handful of uh, older guys at it, like, you know, probably 60s and 70s, I guess. And they're, you know, they invite, like, oh, you guys can sit here. I'm like, okay. And we sit down and there's one guy who just is that kind of older type of guy who just likes to talk and he talked really fast and he's you know just really good about what he says like just he, everything he says just makes you excited you can just feel the energy from this guy and he starts to talk and i don't know who anybody is because i'm a filthy casual but he's like do you know who this guy is who's sitting next to me here well i'm like no he's like this guy this guy founded activision he's the original creator of pitfall and we're like all right then, let's get, we're in it now. Let's start hearing some stories. And he's talking, yeah, me, I was the guy who coded the original Donkey Kong on uh, on the Atari, you know, the first port of Donkey Kong. And he's talking like, we do all these games and stuff. And he's like, that guy over there. And like, in, at the other side of the table, this guy's like, hey, how's it going? So like, that guy, he did the original coding for the first Chuck E. Cheese animatronics up in the first, the first, uh, you know, pilot stores for that. And it's like, oh my gosh, this is ridiculous. We're sitting here, and the guy, you know, who founded Activision, just sitting there, just kind of on his phone. He's like, yep, sure did. 
And he's like, isn't it amazing that... Uh, <laughs> sure did. Yeah, sure did. It's like, isn't it amazing how, like... Because, uh, you know, he's like, you know what I did? I decided one day, kind of on a whim, I would see... Uh, took a whole code of a pitfall, and I decided I would put it in hexadecimal and see what it looked like, and fit on one screen. Just one little one little screen. Didn't even fill the whole screen, just one page. That's my whole game. And we look at that, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. We're talking. He's like, yeah. I was like, well, what, oh, what, what was the biggest game you made? What was the biggest game you made? You know, and he's like, oh, I think uh, about 4,000 bytes. I'm like, it's like 4,000, that's it. And he's like, yeah. You know what they're 4,000? Like, you know, you know, a cell phone app image, like the icon is like 16,000 16, kilobytes or something. And it's like, or 16,000 bytes. Like, oh. so you're telling me, like, yeah, like just the image, just the icon for a cell phone app now is four, four times, times the size larger. Of, pit, uh, of Pitfall. Yeah, and it's just astonishing. Wow. And I asked him, like, so, like, if someone back then mentioned a kilobyte to you, like, oh, it would have laughed at him. It was it'd been fantasy, completely, just, just like we don't even know that number is. And that yeah, was meanwhile the, we're rocking like terabytes. Yeah, and you know I'm talking to him, and and he's like, yeah, the uh, you know the National Video Game Museum guys. They talk to us, and they're like, hey, if you ever have anything you want to throw out, you know, uh, let us know. Like we love it. Thinking like, what, what what are we talking? What's the limit here? Like what what what? Because we have a lot of junk, like just stuff we throw away. And they're like, look, if you if you ever blew your nose, we want that Kleenex. Like that's 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 the level. Like we just basically want your stuff. And it's just it was fascinating to hear him just kind of start telling stories about what it was like and the reality of what it was like. Because after the game crash of '83, kind of, kind of segueing from Atari, but like still kind of being there and jumping over to Activision and. Um, he talks about, uh, he told me a little bit about the, like what it was like working with Nintendo on the NES because they were very draconian about their practices where you had to purchase your cartridges and the chips directly from Nintendo. So they, you basically were a middleman on your own game and it was crazy where you could only purchase a certain number of cartridges at a time. Um, no more, no less. And you had to try to guess exactly because if you didn't guess exactly, you kind of were ruined. You're, you were a failure. If you if you order, let's say you ordered a hundred thousand cartridges for your game, you gave it to t- try to sell it to Toys R Us, and they only sold eighty thousand. You're left with, and they have like twenty thousand left over in the warehouse. You lost twenty thousand dollars of revenue right there. Or, you know, yeah, you twenty thousand. You gotta start digging a pit to drop all those cartridges in and bury them, right? Kind of, but they're like, you know, if Toys R Us has it in the warehouse, Toys R Us, next time you try to sell Toys R Us a game from your legacy, so you have another game, the next game, the next year, and you have 100,000 carts, and they're like, look, we're not gonna take the 100,000 carts you wanna give us until you buy back the two, the 20,000 that you didn't sell last time. So you're already in, you're now trying to make up for that, but the opposite is if you undersold if you like old let's say you only ordered eighty thousand cartridges and the game is a smashing success and everyone wants more and you can't manufacture more for so long that you're missing profit so they had to find that exact number of success and that was just a ridiculous game for them basically and it's it's crazy to hear about like that was the reality of things. And now, of course, now we're nice and simple in gaming industry. We just have, you know, 80-hour work weeks and crunch time. Right. Simple. Yeah. Well, man, yeah, those guys was... sound like total characters. 
Oh, they're cer- they're certainly characters. They were really cool, really nice guys. Just totally like unassuming, humble about it. But we're looking at it thinking like, this is just a job for them at the time, and they didn't know what it was. It was that's why like video game preservation has been so so terrible. Is that to anybody else? It's just a thing they were doing at the time. No one really knew that it was going to be this. You know, there would be legacy, and there would be this this community and this culture surrounding. Like especially the retro scene and anything old and and like prototypes and and unreleased stuff is is holy grails for people to find. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's kind of like the comic book industry where at the time nobody was preserving anything because nobody figured that anything was going to be history worthy. Yeah, and same exact thing. Otherwise, it was it was a great expo, a uh, lot of fun. Got to see. A lot of friends got to see Gerard the Completionist. Got to see Alex Fasciani, who's just like one of the chillest dudes ever. Like every everything that you see from any of his his shows and Super Beard Bros are on the Completionist. He Alex is like the chillest chill boy that ever was. He just exudes a chill energy. He's just super nice. Like I wish I could hang out with him more. Um, obviously I hung out with Rue and Norm a lot, hung out with Grace and Derek a lot. I got to see, um, Ian Ferguson and his wife, Vani. uh, Ian is part of the CU podcast, stands for the completely unnecessary podcast he does with Pat Contry, Pat, the NES punk, who I also hung out with a bit. Uh, it was, you know, it was good times, good times hanging with people who like, I'm like, wow, these are, these are people with names and, and audiences and all that. <laughs> And it's kind of to see that. And then I saw some people, some old friends from Nintendo and Washington can come down. And it was really great to see them and, and get to spend some time with some just some old friends and try to make new friends. And man, like I'm, it's, it was really sad because like Sunday it was kind of like, all right, see you guys later. And then you walk away and it's like, well, I won't see these people for at least a year. And that's, that's a bummer. It just feels that it's that sad. Like, well, there they go. Yeah, it's like summer camp. Yep. Well, I mean, I'm I am glad though that you got to do a panel and and that it went well. Was that how did that come about? Was that like something that you were in on the ground floor of, or did somebody tap you for it? Um, a little bit of both. Um, I had reached out to Portland Retro back like half a year ago. I want to say, because I realized, I was like, hey, you know, I was looking for something kind of to do on on the side, um, just something for fun, just something to really, like, get back to my, you know, to my hobby, my roots, my gaming side. I want to get back in that somehow. And I thought, well, let me check Portland Retro, see what they kind of do. And turns out that all of the, it's run basically by volunteers, including all of the the leadership team for Portland Retro is all volunteers. So I'm like, well, well, maybe I can help them. So I sent him an email saying, hey, you know, I'm a former Nintendo writer, a current social media person for a small marketing company. I, maybe I can help with your social media. Maybe I can help with your you know, website copy or whatever. Maybe I can help be like a, your your guest liaison. I would love to help any of that. And I'm like, oh, that's really cool. Like, do you have anyone you'd recommend for the show? I'm like, oh, yeah, here's a list of people I would recommend inviting. I don't know if anyone got invited because of that, but I, I feel like at least one or two might have gotten tapped and brought in. Um, otherwise, I had, um, you know, I was kind of, I thought that was going to be that, and they're like, hey, would, do you want a panel? I'm like, really? I'm like, yeah, you want a panel? 
Well, yeah, I guess I do. I was like, well, can I do it on uh, on localization? And could I invite, you know, Norman Rue to be on it with me? I'm like, sure. I'm like, they'll be there. I'm like, cool. And he's like, I'll ask him. And they they ask him. And like, yeah, they said they are excited to do it too. So I'm like, cool. So it was just kind of this weird, like, basically any time I've ever seen success, it's always been on accident. It's kind of like how we somehow got on the escapist the first time through a complete chance of me randomly messaging James Port now being like, Hey James, can we want to be on our podcast? Sure. You want to come to PAX for free? Okay. So began the crazy ride that has taken us to today. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, Hey, it's, it's good that things still work out that way from time to time. From it's time to time. And I'm hoping that next year's even bigger and better. I'm excited to see everyone again because on Friday night I took a handful of them to Marrakesh and I was pleased that not only did it actually happen and we actually went to Marrakesh, but everyone had a good time and it was a success. So, and the, like the news began to spread to other YouTubers that did not join us that first night. So I hopefully can, can prompt them all to come next year to that is my goal is to try to get a bigger Bigger, badder, more intense crowd next year. What what a niche you've carved for yourself being like the YouTuber's party liaison in Portland for this <laughs> retro gaming expo specifically. I try. I am trying to collect them all as friends. And it's weird that I have as many connections as I kind of have acquired through various things. I mean, we have connections through The Escapist. We have connections through YouTube and this and that and kind of felt fun that there was a guy at the expo who was dressed up like Jim Sterling and I saw him like hey are you dressed like Jim Sterling he's like absolutely I am I'm like that's really cool I'm like hey hold on a second I pull up my phone I'm like I take a picture I'm like I'm gonna send that to Jim he's like what I'm like yeah I have Jim in my phone you know Jim personally I'm like yeah I'll send him I'll send him the image so that he gets it directly he's like that's really cool and I was like yes YouTuber liaison <laughs> that's me I can do that now YouTuber liaison. That's that's gotta be something that you could turn into a career somehow. Oh, I'm sure. A career that would go nowhere considering what's happening with YouTube, but Well, that's like a decent point, yes. But yeah. in the meantime, uh that expo, yeah, those of you who if if this sounds like a good time for you, uh look it up for this for this next year. It's I've never heard anything but good things about this expo. It's always a fun time. It's a great time. It's I highly recommend it. I still say you got to come next year, Kyle. You would have a good time, even if you just come for like a Saturday or the Sunday or. Oh, totally. Like I I I would totally be interested in it. It's just that it always happens to fall on my anniversary weekend. Mm hmm. So. What's this last weekend? Your anniversary weekend? Well, actually, this last weekend was uh, my wife's birthday. So if it's not one, it usually lands on the other. One of these years, you're just gonna have to have to be able to do it one day at least. Yeah, it's uh, October. October is funny for me that way, and I think they always have it in October because it's always after uh, Rose City Comic Con. They do it after Rose City. They do it after PAX. Um, last year it was tough because it conflicted with TwitchCon because oh, TwitchCon right. kind of like surprised them. So they had a couple YouTubers that had to pull out who were going to be at the show like pro jared was going to be at the show last year but he he was there this year again because he likes to go but he couldn't last year because he got asked by twitch to go to twitchcon like so he had to go on that so yeah because you don't say no to that 
Yeah, I did get to see him again this year briefly. Like, I didn't really talk to him because it's weird. Like, I don't know who I actually do kind of know and is familiar with me and who I just, I know, but they kind of don't recognize me. So I didn't, I didn't want to bother Jared. I didn't want to bother Peanut Butter Gamer or Space Hamster, um, even though I've met them all and I have moments where I feel like I'm more familiar with them, but I don't think they remember me from these weird moments, like, like I've eaten Pro Jared's pie. It's weird. <laughs> like the two, like three years that's ago. So, that's so beautifully specific. You've eaten his pie. Yeah, three years ago, he, I was walking with Gerard and the others, and he, uh, Pro Jared came up and said, "Hey, in my panel, someone gave me a pie." I'm like, what? They gave me a full pie from this place called Sherry's. I'm and I jump in. I'm like, dude, they, you got Sherry's pie? That's legit. And he's like, I don't think I can trust this pie. I'm like, you can trust Sherry's pie. I'm like, what kind is he? He's like, it's coconut cream. I'm like, that's 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 lit. Give me that pie. If you're not gonna, he's like, I'm gonna throw it away because I can't trust getting food from people. I'm like, I can trust getting food from strangers. Give me that pie. I will eat it for you. He's like, okay. So I ate his pie. And to some people, that's mind blowing. Like, what you ate, bro? Jared's pie. I'm like, I ate bro Jared's pie. I'm still here to tell the tale. And I felt kind of like a goober because the next year I'm like, hey, you remember Spum Pie Guy? And I don't want to keep doing that because you no, never want to be. Don't tell him that you're Pie Guy. Don't be no. Pie Guy, Chris. Yeah, like I think I made one joke like that very next year. Like, hey, did anyone bring you a pie this year? Like, no, no, we brought a pie this year. And so I don't want to ever, I don't want to be like, ah, yes, it's time for the pie joke. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's. Yeah. It, it's it's like what Ryan says on the office. You don't want to be you don't want to be the something guy. Exactly, and that's that's kind of where that landed. So it's been it was a great weekend. Um, lots of fun. And it sounds he, like fun. Yeah, and then it's and it's like, well, now what do I do? Now I got too long to wait. Uh, well, you can uh, join me for National Novel Writing Month in November. That'll be a way to kill 30 days pretty quickly. Oh, I just don't, I don't really write unless I'm writing for writing the backlog, which I've started my next play session. Um, I'm already, I think, actually six, six or seven sessions into it. I'm playing Dragon Ball Fighters or Dragon Ball Fighter Z. I never know how to say it. It's the new Dragon Ball fighting game, and I'm playing that one because I checked out from the library. And All right, on. I'll have lots more to say on that probably next time. Totally, and because... and we'll and we'll have some articles up for that uh, once we come to it, once we get through uh, Super Mario RPG for you. Yeah, it'll be fun, and I got some more planned after that for sure. So I'll make I'll be it'll be a continual thing. All right, on. You can find all of that stuff over at uh, media-sandwich.blogspot.com, where the podcast originates, as well as our side podcast, uh, Drat, Dad's Review a Thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, all, all of that stuff you can find uh, there at the blog, and we, we keep a running tally of everything that's posted over at Twitter as well, under media underscore sandwich. So there's no real excuse for missing out on any of it. Uh, no excuse. No excuse whatsoever. You you consume this this stuff that we put in front of your face. Yeah, you can you find me 
You can find me on Twitter at, at the Chris Pranger. Yes, and I'm at Kyle Martinak. See, so simple, so elegant. Yeah, well, you know, no one else had it, oddly. <laughs> there you go. But, uh, yeah, that's that's where you can find all of us. And, and then, of course, this show and Drat are both available at iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Google Play Podcast, if it works. Sometimes it doesn't. And, uh, you know, third-party apps, of course, you can find it. So, yeah, subscribe to us, review it, you know, smash that button or smash whatever. Smash that button. Uh, give us a retweet on Twitter. Give us a share on Facebook. Why don't you give us a little heart button icon over at Instagram? Give us a wink on Scuttle. Make sure to befriend us on ChapChat. It'll be great. And put us in your top eight spaces on MySpace. There you go. With that, we, we welcome you to go get a sandwich because it's the end of a long episode. Yes, yes. Go <laughs> go get yourself a sandwich and take a big old bite. Take a big old bite.